they do a lot of fracking down there? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, every time I go into Walmart, I see examples. Oh, wait, no, we're talking about something else, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, you know Because if you've got scientists that are talking nonstop about the possibility of other worlds, other realities, other timelines, then it's no longer science fiction. Okay, now we have something hard that we can take a look at when we're talking about our more sort of obscure and enigmatic theories and ideas. Our grid theory basically is, it's an amalgamation of several different ideas a bunch of different ideas, backed by science, uh, that help to explain and answer that very question, what actually happens when you die? Where do you go? What is it like? What happens? But, you know, we're putting out books that are kind of pushing the boundaries, and that's what we want to do. Pushing the boundaries and pissing people off. Pissing people off. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Benall of BenallofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 8. On this installment of the program, we've got a couple of familiar voices to the hardcore and longtime BOA Audio listeners as two great friends of BOA Audio make their seasonal return to the program Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, known as the Para Explorers, join us to detail their two new books, The Grid and Viral Mythology. And as is the fashion when the three of us get together, the playbook and questions essentially get thrown out the window in favor of organic conversation and deeply abstract discussion. Over the course of the program, we are going to be looking at the grid theory, which is a whole new concept put forward by Marie and Larry, and we're really going to dig into it from a variety of angles, including what happens after death, which is really the seed of the grid theory, as well as information. It's discussed so often, but what is it? Is it a force? Is it a dimension? Is it something entirely different? that I cannot even put into words. We're going to try and get to the bottom of that. Additionally, we'll talk about the mutable nature of reality and a whole bunch more heady topics. Then we're going to move on to discussing viral mythology. And during that portion of the conversation, we're going to get into ancient aliens, how vast amounts of information about humankind's ancestry has been lost forever, Archaeological anomalies that suggest technologically advanced races existing far into the distant past, plus, of course, tons and tons more. Like meeting up with a couple of old friends at the corner pub, this conversation seemingly picks up right where we left off the last time we talked 
to Marie and Larry. It was almost as if I had just done the previous interview with them days earlier. But, of course, it continues into some new and intriguing waters as the para-explorers, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, join us once again on BOA Audio. Since this is a double guest edition of the program, I'm going to spare the impatient listeners who will not stand to listen to two bios at the beginning of the program, but let me plug the books that have been put together here collectively by Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. They are 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, The Resonance Key, This Book is From the Future, The Deja Vu Enigma, and The Trinity Secret. Marie and Larry have appeared on the program numerous times in the past, so if any of those titles pique your interest, dig into the BOA Audio Archive, because we've dedicated episodes of the program to each of those previous books. And here, on this installment of the show, we're digging into their two new books, The Grid, as well as Viral Mythology. And if you want to know more about Marie and Larry, head on over to their website, www.paraexplorers.com. Pretty simple, all one word, paraexplorers.com. With all that said, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on April 1st, 2014. Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman talking about the grid and viral mythology on BOA Audio Season 8. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 8. already have a feeling it's going to be a raucous conversation full of uh, many laughs because our old friends Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman are back making their annual appearance on another season of BOA Audio. And I think this year they really set out to make me look bad because they put out two books. So I'm really in over my head. (laughs) With their tremendous work as it is, now I've got two to deal with. First is The Grid, Exploring the Hidden Infrastructure of Reality, and then following that more recently, Viral Mythology, How the Truth of the Ancients Was Encoded and Passed Down Through Legend, Art, and Architecture. Fascinating stuff. I'm I'm really uh, very intrigued by the viral mythology, and I know that you guys consider this grid to be I don't want to call it a magnum opus or anything crazy like that, because I'd be putting words in your mouth. But I know that it's uh, it's something you guys have put a lot of thought into. So I guess we'll, we'll exchange the pleasantries now. Welcome back to the program, Marie and Larry. It's yeah, we're just we're just in, we're sitting up to our elbows already here. It's going to be fun. Well, thank you for having us back yeah, again. Definitely. You're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Well, normally I got to go on Craigslist for that kind of thing, but thankfully uh, it all works out this time. <laughs> so, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for you, Larry. I thought I would get a, I thought I would get a hearty chuckle out of you on I that one. I don't think he got it. All right. It just I, went right I, actually, over I, head. I, actually, I didn't get it, no. All right, well. I'll explain it to you later. Yeah, yeah. Off the okay. air. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, so I... I I mentioned here at the start here the grid. This you guys were talking about this last time you were on. This is a big, and you say in the introduction it was something that was really kind of born out of uh, much like uh, conversations we're having right now, just sort of talking, yeah. chewing the breeze or whatever you call it, and and just uh, mulling over ideas. So talk about the grid, how this all came together, and, and give us a thumbnail. What is the grid? Because it's uh, it's sort of a vast idea. Gosh, that's hard. Mm. Want me to go first mm. since I'm the lady? Well. <laughs> Yes, um, 
I, I really do think that, that Tim kind of summed up, though. It is the magnum opus, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, well, up until now, because we're already brewing all kinds of new stuff. But I think, um, I recall on many occasions, because Larry and I have known each other for, for going on seven years now. Hmm. Um, and there would be times when Larry would come, be coming home from an investigation, and he would call me with like, hey, what do you think of this? This happened? Or what do you think of that? And we'd be on the phone for like hours. Just going back and forth. I don't know if you remember that, Larry, but I mean, there were times when it was just idea after idea, just bang, 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 and constantly going back and forth. Mm. And a lot of that stuff ended up going into our books. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, it sort of culminated in this concept. I mean, you can call it a theory in a sense. Uh, maybe not a pure scientific theory, but certainly a theory that um, is based on the research and the ideas that we've done. And we put it together in this book as sort of a culmination up to this point of what we were doing with science and the paranormal and human physiology and psychology and how all of that came together to describe not just our reality, but other levels of reality, because that's really what we were thinking Mm. Uh, that there were these other levels of reality that we've been interacting with. And, you know, how do we find evidence of that in science? And how does that play into the paranormal? How does human physiology, how does quantum physics, how does the environment, how, do, how does all of that stuff play into this one big theory? And I think the grid is kind of introductory in a sense because we were only allowed to write a certain word count but that book could have been five times as thick. Oh, with sure. All of yeah. the research that we wanted to put in to back up what we were saying. And I'm sure that over time we will do that anyway. Exactly, yeah. 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 Well, you said it's like a combination of all these books and stuff. And there's, I'm sure there's future books in the, in the ether of the grid. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Larry, you, you know, your point of view might be a little different. Not really. It never is. That's why we love Larry so much. But really, Larry, what? Well, I guess we'll, we'll we'll pivot on Larry. We'll 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 challenge Larry a little here. Uh, yeah. And we'll see. Challenge if, away. What'd you say? Challenge away. All right. Why don't you give me now? Marie sort of gave me gave me the idea, the abstract of the grid. If if someone if you were to try and sit down and, and talk to, uh, to to simple old me, how would you sort of explain this? The infrastructure of the reality is it is it like? What is it composed of might be even a good place to jump off of on this. What is it composed of? That's actually a really good question. Um, I, I can't say that we have the answers to everything. I realize uh, that. Um, but if I had to guess, I would say that it's it's information. I mean, it's it's composed of information, energy and information. Energy is information. Information is energy. So I think that the two are very interchangeable. But as far as how to how to communicate it to a layperson, okay. So I think the easiest way to to do that uh, would be to um, ask a question, and that question would go something like this: Have you ever had anyone in your life that you have cared greatly about pass away? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Have you ever wondered what actually happened to them? Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. That's the grid. Our our grid theory basically is is kind of it, it's an amalgamation of several different ideas, a bunch of different ideas, backed by science uh, that help to explain 
and answer that very question, what actually happens when you die? Where do you go? What is it like? What happens? You know, do you simply wink out of existence like a like a fading star? Is it ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or is there actually something uh, something more to it? Is death actually a form of rebirth? And I think in many aspects that it is. I think the process of dying, uh, which, of course, all of us are dying. From the moment of birth, you begin the slow process of dying. But the process of death or dying... Uh, we believe actually is is more um, representative of the process of being born. You are you are being born into a new world. You are uh, you are reanimating uh, in a way uh, to a completely different level of the grid. One that's it's a it's a reality that is completely and wholly different than our physicality, uh, but one that is just as real. Hmm. Okay. It's like a transition, really. More yeah, that makes finality. Part. People make death. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the perfect example of the different levels of the grid is to talk to somebody about death because so much of, of our beliefs surrounding death are feelings of finality. And yet, if you talk to people who have had near-death experiences or have been dead for a while or even scientists, you know, the whole deal with consciousness and not being able to explain what happens to that after the body dies really does suggest that maybe it's not final, it's not a fade to black, that what is happening is we are going to another level of reality, one that is much different from this one where we operate from the five senses but yet we still kind of get glimpses of it now and then with what we call quote-unquote paranormal experiences. And I think everybody's had those feelings that they've experienced a different sure. reality, hmm. whether they're dreaming or have deja vu or they have an out-and-out -out ghost you know, interaction or, or what have you. And just also looking back at religious writings and science itself, talking about the multiverse and parallel universes. I mean, this stuff is everywhere. Right, right. So we wanted to try to give a visual image to this idea of an infrastructure of realities. You know, a lot of people talk about the field, but that's a two-dimensional image. Yeah. We didn't like that because we kind of felt like this is right. more like a grid where you got layers and layers off to the side and on top and below and but you've got connectors, you know, by which you can access one level or, or another. So it just kind of grew out of this desire that we had to give people a visual of of what our concept was. I'm wrapping my mind around it as we speak. It's very uh I'm reminded of conversations we've had in the past about sort of the idea of the radio tuner. I've used the example before. I know you guys, yeah. I'm sure, heard it from uh -huh. other places. I'd like to know who coined the original version of that because it's great. But, you know, the idea that we, we exist on, like, KISS 108, but really there's all these other radio stations out there. Right, exactly. And, you know, you tune in to only one station at a time, maybe consciously. That doesn't right. mean those other stations aren't out there operating. They're broadcasting on a different bandwidth. And yeah, and I, when I was young, and everybody had a CB radio back in the day, and I just remember, and I have a ham radio now, and it had, and Larry does too. And sometimes you get crosstalk, you get sure. you know, be listening to a particular conversation, and you get a little bit of another conversation. Mm, yeah, true. That's really what we are looking at as circumstantial evidence, because it's really not proof 
of other levels of reality. We get those little glimpses. We get that little crosstalk. Yeah. You know, but yeah. how do we how do we kind of follow through on it and learn more about it? It's so elusive. Right, right. So, like, as we talk about the radio sort of idea of it, it's like it's. I feel I feel compelled to dispel this. Uh, is is there is there a mention of ley lines anywhere in this? I don't hmm. know. Because when you first when people first hear grid and sort of the idea, they their minds go to ley. I, at least I did it first. That's what I mentioned. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, some people look at it that as part being part of the visual that there might be spots mm. on Earth where you can, I don't know, because of the environmental influences access another level of the grid but i don't think we talked about them in this book yeah no i wasn't yeah that was yeah. kind of I, I was i'm not sure where i was going with that except to, to point out that it probably wasn't in the book because it, it's ley lines it seems kind of to uh as i said to dispel it so well, yeah, there's also, <laughs> i was talking about there there being a grid here you know in the earth right right a grid that uh different electromagnetic frequencies allow us to experience. But I, we kind of figure that grid exists everywhere. I mean, it doesn't have an end. You know, if you're talking about things like the zero-point field, there's no end to that. Right. It's infinite. So, therefore, can we say that there is no end to the different levels of reality that exist in this grid? Well, it's an interesting conundrum in a way, too. talked about this in the past. It seems... Can we ever really know uh, the true nature of the grid because of the, our, our point within it? Yeah, it's like being a fish in the ocean. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. really yeah. know the magnitude of the ocean you're swimming in? I don't know. I mean, I think we're pretty optimistic when we write, but I don't know that we're meant to ever have final proof. And people say, well, when you die, you're going to know everything. How, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'll know right. less. <laughs> or you'll just know one next level. Um I don't know. I don't know if our consciousness is capable of experiencing the entire multiverse that, you know, we're being told might be out there. What do you think, Larry? Yeah, do you think well, science can catch, no, I, can I catch up in a way? I, I think also until we actually understand what the hell reality actually is, yeah. that I think we're kind of spinning our wheels trying to figure out what everything else is. Uh, beyond that is. I mean, yeah. we still don't know exactly what is real from what's not. I mean, obviously, we can measure physical things. We, we have knowledge of physical things, but, you know, there's still so many things, even in our our world, that we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how to measure lots of things. We don't know how to how to discern lots of things. We know they exist. We, do, we just don't have a way to scientifically measure them. Right. So we don't, we still don't know everything. I mean, we are still so primitive and we still have so many things to learn that maybe like you said maybe we don't have the ability to comprehend it or maybe we're just not at our at that point in evolution yet right where we have the mental capacity to even try to comprehend some of it maybe, yeah maybe our brains couldn't handle it at this point yeah right right like that. Unquote, what was that what was that movie <laughs> what was that movie um oh god it was lawnmower that, man no, with the movie, um, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. Uh, oh, a few yeah. good men. Yeah, a few good men. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, a few good men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's that's more reality than we know. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking as I was sort of pitching the question there to you. It's like well, the other the other end of it is 
are we are we stuck in this perspective or with this way? Because you guys obviously talk a lot about the science that sort of makes up the the fabric of the grid theory. It makes you wonder. Maybe, and the reason I said lawnmower man just now is because I was kind of thinking of the idea, like, what if technology advances to the point where then they can supplement our inabilities to perceive the true nature of the grid? Right. That's like that Johnny Depp movie that's coming out. Uh, what is it called? Transcendence? Where he dies and becomes a part of singularity, and he sort of transcends his consciousness into... Uh, technology and oh, that talks about that. And yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think that we're anywhere near understanding the expansiveness of the world that we live in. Mm. And I have a feeling it's because we probably wouldn't know how to survive if we did know all that. Yeah. I don't know how we would stay grounded enough to survive as a species if all of a sudden our minds were open to every other multiverse or timeline or reality. I think there really is a very intelligent reason why we're so stupid. Mm. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're so limited at this point. Always, it's always about survival. So we certainly know more now than we did 100, 200, 1,000 years ago in terms of science. Sure. But I don't know. I mean... Larry and I talk about this a lot. It's a real struggle to to try to mm-hmm. to come to terms with the fact that personal experience may always trump scientific proof. What do we do with that? We may never be able to prove some things. Are we going to be happy with just people's personal experiences mm-hmm. as proof? That connects to something Larry said that uh, I thought was interesting, uh, where he said we don't even know what reality is. And, right. And I think what you guys have done a lot of good work on is to sort of acknowledge and accept and try to work within the parameters that we realize that the, the world is composed of two things in a way, the world and the person in the world who's experiencing right. it. the observer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, think, something that needs yeah. to be sort of looked at, I think. I think we're certainly making great strides. The, the, the research that's been done into quantum physics and even, you know, cosmology, we have a greater understanding of our universe, the big and the small. It certainly helped. But the ultimate questions, like Larry said earlier, we still don't really know what happens to us when we die. So none of the technology and advancement in scientific knowledge has really gotten us any closer to the answer to that question. What it's done is opened up more possibilities. Because if you've got scientists that are talking nonstop about the possibility of other worlds, other realities, other timelines, then it's no longer science fiction. Okay, now we have something hard that we can take a look at when we're talking about our more sort of obscure and enigmatic theories and ideas. Mm-hmm. Now we can say, well, hey, <laughs> if they believe this, maybe that's what happens when you die. Yeah. You go yeah. to one of those other universes. You go, go to another timeline. Maybe ghosts are not the essence of a dead person in this reality. Right. It's the human element that, that complicates it all, I think. and That's why science has a trouble with these, these prickly questions about uh, the nature of the universe, who we are, where we go when we die, even the paranormal stuff. You know, right, it's, it's right. tough for them to really wrap their minds around it. 
Well, no. but you know, Einstein was fascinated with this stuff. So was Tesla. So were most of the great grandfathers of quantum physics. David Bohm, he was a metaphysician if there ever was one. But when it came to their published works, I guess you could say, you know, they had to stick to the academics. Well, again, it comes back to this. It's like I, I think there, there's this like uniquely human element to it of, of the individual observer. I said one time when we did the show, I thought, what if the world just, what if the whole world just began when I was born, and all of the stuff that before that was just made up by me before I was born? You know, we, yeah, it's possible. And when you die, it all ends. I mean, that is a theory of reality that this is all one person's dream. You know, this is all one person's imaginings, and you and I were all just little players, and it could be Larry's, you know, or it could be mine. And that kind of stuff is hard to wrap your mind around, but we don't know if that's not true. I'm honored that Larry would create me in his his fabricated reality. Yeah, thanks, Larry. It'd be more like a midget, I think. I would, or you you would. (laughs) I know, you, you would, Tim. Not me. And he would make me much less of a pain in the ass, I think. Right, Larry? He's like, yeah, damn. Probably so. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to get you. Oh, my but goodness. That, you know, I mean, we we knew writing so much about the paranormal, talking so much about it, and we just kept saying to each other, we don't even know what reality is. You know, how could right. how could we really ever answer these paranormal questions? And so that kind of... Well, on a base level of the whole paranormal thing, I've observed this uh, with just people in the paranormal. It's talk about reality. Their idea of reality is different from the reality of the shared mainstream. It's stunning when you step back and look at it. These are people who, you know, who think that Barack Obama struggles over what to do about UFOs like every night before he goes to bed. There are people that probably believe that. The Illuminati are listening to our conversation as we speak. You do know that, don't you? It's... Shows you the power of belief, and what does that have to do with the formation of of individual reality? Mm. I mean, even collective reality. If we all believe the same thing, so are we really constructing this sort of collective reality that we've all bought into? And then you've got the oddballs that don't buy into it, and they're considered freaks and schizophrenics and, you know, God knows what else. You could think elephants were uh, yellow or something, and it might, yeah. it might turn out that you're the one that's actually right. You have a, the, you know, your eye, your eye condition actually is the proper way to see it or something. But you yeah. know, you could go to a, a society or a, a tribe that's never seen an elephant, and you tell them it's yellow. They believe it's yellow. That becomes their reality, and that shows you how just the words that we use to describe our reality are really kind of lame. Yeah, well, it's a the, the whole idea, all this stuff. I I commend you guys in writing the book too, because it's like it's just difficult to even talk about this stuff. Words start falling over each other. They're very abstract. Yeah. It's it's like you know sometimes I have trouble putting together words on what I'm trying to say here because it's it's like do I mean dimension or reality or consciousness or thought or the mind? It's like what <laughs> semantics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's difficult stuff to pin down, but it's fascinating. It really is. Now, what uh, connect this with? We'll we'll do for the for the hardcore paranormalists out there. We'll connect it in here with the ghosts. What do you you mention here? Let me see the thing. Uh, where to go on me? Let's talk about orbs. Actually, oh, really? <laughs> no, really not. Okay, no. I was going to mention because I wanted to sort of connect this in with. Larry going. <laughs> with, with, uh oh. No. 
no, no, no. Well, how do you see the how do you see the ghost uh, phenomenon fitting in on all this, uh, Larry? Because you're you're the ghost man. I mean, you you uh, the ghost go to guy. Yeah, you really are. If I have a <laughs> serious question about ghosts, I would actually turn to you. Unfortunately, I almost never do, which is why. You don't hear from me as often as you think. But what, 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 how do you, how do you fit the ghost thing into all this? Because it sounds like, in a way, this kind of bubbled up from your work, looking at uh, researching the ghost stuff, as Marie was saying yeah, in these cool, conversations. Yeah, you know, no, you're absolutely right, Tim. I mean, there's a there's a huge connection to it. And I've said many times on many many shows that that my um, my motivation for the field has strictly been uh, a selfish one in that I have been more interested in finding answers for myself than anything, uh, which then in turn I can educate others. But primarily it's for me. I want to know uh, what actually happens after you die. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my motivation. So how does it actually fit in? Okay, so that's a great question. I think it fits in very well. Um, it, it is a very fitting piece of the puzzle because there is a significant well okay before we even get to that mm-hmm. i think i've i think i've um probably preached on your show before about what i think one of the biggest downfalls of most uh folks in the paranormal one of the, the greatest bitches that i have about the paranormal and if i haven't i'll just refresh hmm. really quick um <laughs> that's fine i'd love to hear it if i haven't already I'd well the greatest problem that i have with the paranormal is that well, first of all, I think it's probably one of the most closed-minded, quote, sciences. Uh, and I had, you got to put quotes around uh, that because it's really a very fragmented, segmented hobby, really, more than anything else. I mean, it's there's not a lot of folks that are very seriously involved in, in paranormal research. There's a lot of people that tell you, yeah, we're ghost hunters, we've got the K2s and the ovuluses and... You know, that's great. We all watch the TV shows, but that's really not reality. Um, if you are wanting to study a phenomena that you are not familiar with, uh, the best way to do that would be, firstly, to network with other folks uh, that are subject matter experts. Now, I'm not talking subject matter experts in the ghost field because I don't think there are any. By its very definition, paranormal is anything outside of the realm of current scientific understanding. So if anyone tells you that they're an expert in the paranormal, uh, kick them in the nuts and run away because there's no <laughs> such thing. Um, but that's a huge problem. You don't see paranormal groups interfacing with subject matter experts. You don't see any type of peer review. You don't see any type of uh, connection with uh, higher education, for instance. Uh, there's very few groups out there that, that have... Uh, any true understanding of what the scientific method actually entails. So lots of groups will tell you where we're scientific. We we use equipment, um, which really the two things are not equatable. Um, the scientific method is a completely, completely uh, different thing. But anyways, I'm drifting off topic here. Sorry, you're um, good. So, so my big bitch, though, with the paranormal, when you take that stuff in, in mind, uh, and I didn't even – talk about the drama or any of the other issues in the right. paranormal field. But the greatest issue is that we're basically, for the last 150-plus years, uh, paranormal research has really been kind of a, a hot commodity. Um, really, since the advent of the spiritualist movement, people have been very, very interested in ghost hunting. Um, you know, it started back with the, the early days of, of uh, seances and table wrappings and 
the very early, early paranormal investigators uh, up until modern times when it's prolific on TV and uh, the Internet. But we're no closer today than we were 150 years ago. Uh, even with this incredible advances in technology that we have, a lot of the cool equipment and toys and gadgets, because of one thing, um, and I don't think that it's strictly an equipment issue, uh, it's the fact that for the last 150 years, we've been looking in the wrong place. Um, I think every paranormal group is guilty of this, um, mine included, um, to a certain aspect, but probably we're, I'd say we're a lot more open-minded than most. Yeah. Um, but every paranormal group is basically replicating what every other group before them is doing, which is kind of a, it's that self-cycle, that, that self-fulfilling prophecy, that cycle that just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. Like the definition not of insanity. Evidence. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the because <laughs> we are, we're, we're all looking in the same place. We're not looking in the correct place, but we're all looking in, in the same place. Now, what it, Tim, is the most... You've been on a couple of ghost hunts, right? No, no. Actually, I've managed to avoid them never? all these years. No, no. I'd like to go on one, but... Have you ever... You've never done, like, a, a ghost tour or anything, really? No, I went to one sort of spooky location, but it was uh, in the Bridgewater Triangle. It was had all kinds of weird stuff had happened there, so it wasn't so much a ghost. Uh, I'd never been to a haunted locale. So, no, really? I'd like to. Well, I'd, gonna, I'd like to. We're going to have to change that. Yeah, someone should be in the Massachusetts area should contact me to take me okay. on one. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to, we'll have to change that. The problem is, you know so, how I feel about the ghost hunters. They're, they're, they're like juggalos. I try to avoid uh, them. I agree. So. I completely agree. So, if you go on any serious investigations with groups, what you'll see time and time again, despite the group, despite the, the geographic area, is that basically the process is exactly the same. We're all looking in the same place. We're using similar types of equipment. We're looking for similar types of of energies. We're, we're looking basically in the wrong place. But there is a very important aspect of every single paranormal event or encounter that not one group outside of maybe just a few, my group is one, uh, has been ignoring a very, very, uh, probably the most common, it is the most, it's the number one commonality in every single underline, every single paranormal event. What is it? What is the one reported, or the one thing that is present in every single paranormal event? Tim? I want to say, I think, I want to say the witness. But, exactly. Uh, well, it is. Okay. It's right. you. It's the observer. <laughs> All right. Yes, it is, it is the human conscious connection to that event. And for the last 150 years, we have been woefully inadequate in studying that. We have not looked at what is our piece of the puzzle. What is our connection to the phenomena? Hmm. Why are we not looking at the most obvious and glaring thing that's present the, every the single time? That is, right. the it is one absolutely the smoking gun that needs to be eliminated, and no paranormal group is doing it. Now, my you group know, does... I, um, the no, poltergeist research does touch on that, though. So, but we keep that separate from ghost. You know, they it do yeah, acknowledge that the agent, different. the human agent, is the trigger. But right, the ghost right. stuff, yeah, not at all. Just, I just want no, to throw that no. in there. No, to, yeah, totally different disciplines too. I think you know the, I, the two are, are yeah. not even compatible. But 
for instance, my group, one of the things that we do that I think is very important is uh, we monitor brain waves on an investigation. We will actually look to see what uh, the recipient's brainwave state is when they have an experiential event. So we're able to determine if if there is a human component that is uh, either helping to cause slash create the event or if it's simply we are in a, a different perhaps more receptive state uh, when these events actually occur. Yeah. But the human aspect is what has been completely ignored, and it's probably the most important thing. How do you – I'm just wondering how you grapple with the challenge of that, of how to study okay, the so, human element. So, okay, I, you wait, told wait, me wait. what you do, so I, I guess okay, yeah, yeah. So, so Okay, so I lost track of where I was going with that. Your original question, you asked me how this tied into the grid. Yeah. Okay, so – we are an integral part of the grid as well. Our connection to the beyond, whatever you want to call it, as we call it the grid, but the unexplained is us. We are the common denominator. There is, There are many things that are happening both physiologically, uh, physically, consciously, unconsciously, subconsciously uh, within us that are allowing that connection uh, to take place. So dead or alive are basically different shades of gray. So when you talk about death, first of all, when you hear the word death, death is not a light switch. You don't turn a switch off and a person is dead. Death is actually a process. It is a physiological process of the body shutting down. Now, we know that that folks that have died, clinically, quote, died, uh, there have been folks that have been resuscitated or brought back to life up to two hours after they were clinically pronounced dead. Right. So, where did that person's consciousness go? Where did that ego, the, the everything that that person's experiences, their memories, where did what makes that person who they are, where did that go during those two hours that that person died? That's where, what I think is the, quote, ghost that we're talking about here. So when we talk about ghost hunting and the connection to the grid, I think that we are simply exploring uh, an unknown, at this point, conscious energy, something that is emitted from us upon death. Uh, there are obviously actually many different theories. There's the holographic um, brain theory. I mean, there's a lot of different ideas as far as consciousness and memories and uh, your your soul. Uh, but but my belief, and I think Marie agrees, um, in, is that in the grid, you exist. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. Um, you are connected to everyone else, first of all. Every, each and every one of us is connected, whether you're alive, dead, never been born, we're all connected. Okay. I have, have not been born yet. That field of yes. information, yes. It's, the information stays there forever. It doesn't go away. Mm. Right. You are connected to that information. You are connected to other people. You know, we share a common DNA. We, we've got lots of uh, connections to other people. So when you die, something has to happen. Um, something happens. Obviously, there's physical uh, things that happen upon physical death, uh, decay, et cetera. But who you are is kind of the big question. What happens to that? Does that survive death, and does it go elsewhere? Does it go outside of the body? Now, if you look at, at the example that I gave of folks that have died, been brought back, 
been declared um, clinically dead, brought back to life two hours later. That that whole idea is what fascinates me because you're dead, you're quote dead, but yet you're brought back to life and you're still you. Yeah. So you're not somebody else. Unless it's a horror movie. You know? Yeah, that would yeah. be a good movie. Yeah, that would be a horror yeah. movie. So that is how it connects to the grid. Because I, I really believe that we we don't just die. When you die, your energy, it, it simply transfers elsewhere. Yeah. It right. goes someplace right. else. Well, and then in the case that I just gave, it can come back as well. But not only that, we wrote, um, New Page Books put out a, a anthology about ghosts and hauntings and Larry and I wrote a chapter called When is a Ghost Not a Ghost? Mm-hmm. Because we were able, just he and I, to come up with, you know, eight or nine different possibilities to explain what a ghost is. Rather than oh everybody always focuses on that one idea that it's gotta be the the spiritual essence Okay, what the heck is that hmm. of a dead person? You know, we talk right. about everything from somebody who exists on another timeline and another reality or dimension to, you know, a, a imprint of energy to, to whatever. I think we yeah. came up with a whole bunch of different explanations. The grid allows us to go beyond the tried and true nuts and bolts explanations for everything from ghosts to aliens, to cryptids, to psychic phenomenon. Maybe it's not what we think it is. Maybe the cryptids are coming from another dimension entirely, which could explain why a lot of the sightings are so erratic, are so, you know, inconsistent. Hmm. They're not creatures that are hiding out in the woods. They are literally popping in and out of view right in front of people's eyes. Yeah, they're just and crossing a lot of through. Yeah. It, yeah, when I was in MUFON, I can't tell you how many reports came in from people who saw UFOs that described them like being a movie projection. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it appeared suddenly, and then it just vanished. It didn't fly off. It just bloop, flickered out like you turned off a movie camera. Hmm. So it's just that idea of coming up with different possible explanations for for not just the paranormal but the normal and larry was talking about how you know the humans the observer is the common denominator in any kind of paranormal event well we also got into the fact that our physiology is half of what allows us to experience the paranormal and the other half is what's happening environmentally or externally and when certain things align that's when we get to experience one of these other levels of the grid. And when they don't align, you don't. Right. And so then we wanted to try to figure out what those different triggers and mechanisms were. You know, we talked about everything from hormones and brain chemicals to prescription drugs that people take to, you know, things in the environment, the weather, the the climate, precipitation, Mm. EM fields, all of that stuff is constantly at play. And why is it that you can see something and a person standing next to you doesn't see it? Obviously, human physiology comes into play here. So all of that stuff was what made us feel like a ghost is not just what we've been told it, it, it is all these years. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. You you really you hit you you hit the nail on the head on a lot of stuff there. Like had me had me humming there uh, <laughs> as you spoke, well, which is a good sign. Why ghost agreeing. hunters never catch ghosts because they're chasing something that is not right. going to happen unless those elements are perfectly aligned, and you cannot force that. Yeah, what's the end game of Ghost Hunter supposed to be anyway? Is the ghost supposed to stop running like the fugitive? Can, yeah. is, is the ghost going to be head. right? Put it above the fireplace. Series <laughs> finale of Ghost Hunters. The ghost finally stops. He's like, "Listen, I've had enough. It's been ten years. What do you want to know?" Yeah, leave me yeah. alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dead. Leave me alone. Yeah, he's just like, I'm just an yeah. old man. Oh God. Yeah, like, you, you, you did hit the nail on the head. It seems like, uh, I'm in total agreement with you about this paranormal, uh, this, this dependency, uh, by the paranormal on an amalgamation of different factors that it seems like we haven't quite been able to pin down yet. But right. I, I've used the example. Is, I suggested yeah, I mean, that we need, like, a statistical study of UFOs, and my example was because you might be able to figure out if you're, if you're a teenage girl driving through the panhandle of Texas on a Tuesday afternoon, the day after a right. solar eclipse, you're almost right. guaranteed to see a Bigfoot. It's like somehow that might possibly right. come out through the, through yeah. the data, but who knows? And you know what? Yeah. That is going to be a real bitch to do, to figure out all of those different elements that have to. And that's why, hmm. you know, Larry with his group, just starting on, on some of the physiological tests that you can do, testing brain waves and um, you know, even doing questionnaires to find out what people ate before they came to an investigation or what they drank or what prescription drugs they were on. I mean, it is so complex Very, trying to figure out. Yeah. But the clues are there, and the clues are there by looking at the commonalities in all of these experiences. So if you have 25 is, people, if you yeah. have 25 women who are menstruating, but they all Did you really have to say that? Did you <laughs> well, really have to go it. there? If you're talking about, you know, if you have 25 people that all experienced something and another 25 that didn't, and the, the first 25 happened to all be, you know, I don't know, they all had a, a salami sandwich for lunch. Maybe there's some chemical in the salami that you've right, got to right. start looking at. Mm. I mean, that's what we have to look at. People don't. I think a lot of people in the paranormal are as bad as the diehard skeptics. They don't want to let go oh, of their absolutely. Story. Yeah, they don't want no, to let I go thought. of their ideas or because that's their identity. They've built right. their career, quote-unquote, pushing the same crap over and over again. But that's why we don't have any answers. There's too many people pushing the crap, you know? Exactly. Well, and that's, I think, one of the, the, um, the strong uh, issues with the whole orb phenomena. You know, there's there's enough scientific evidence to prove what they actually are, but yet you got people that are so uh they are such uh unbelievers uh in their own reality that, that they're not willing to accept fact. Yeah. Well, it's it I thought, I thought you were gonna say more about orbs because uh Marie had set you up there earlier. I was ra- I was waiting for a Larry rant, but he, Larry he tempered it. Uh, <laughs> that's right. When you started talking about orbs, I was like, ooh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so annoying. I see pictures go down my Facebook wall and, and the fanaticism of the comments. Oh, it's an or- it's real. It's real. It's spiritual. Right, right. And anybody, right. oh, so help me God, if you go in and try to scientifically, you know, explain them, they will crucify you. Yeah. <laughs> now, you tell me how that is any different from the diehard skeptics who won't even open their minds enough 
to consider that some of these things people are experiencing might actually be real. I don't see how it's it's extremism just on the other end, and it's. Well, I was going to make the, the point from what we were just talking about that uh, it's interesting in a way because we we're, we're talking about how the paranormal needs to look more at the human element of all this, and when just taken from what you just said, Marie, it's like maybe the scientific community that does look at the paranormal needs to needs to take the more look at the paranormal side of it. Do you know what I mean? If, they, if the two groups yeah. can come together, maybe they'd be able to figure something sure. out in a better way because each side, I feel like the paranormal people, they don't want to bring the human element into it because yeah, it makes it less TV-ish. Yes, know? it it's does, yeah. yeah. But I, I think, too, you have to really realize that there is a, a very strong polarization in the in the paranormal field as far as motives. In, yeah. into uh, the investigation. You've got several different cliquish groups. You've got groups that are that are in it for scientific reasons or that claim that they're in it for scientific reasons that really are after the truth. You've got groups that do it strictly as a hobby. Uh, they have nothing else to do on the weekend, so it's, you know, fun for a bunch of groups or a bunch of folks to get together and actually go out and try. Then you've got groups that, that are uh, thrill the thrill-seeker type groups, which are more interested in going out to spooky places and just getting the shit scared out of each other. And then there's there's uh, the final group, uh, the the I don't I don't really even have a term for it, but the groups that that use it as uh, an opportunity to hook up with other people, to go out and get drunk, to to do a lot of stupid immoral stuff. Uh, it, it gives them kind of an extra avenue, I guess, to do that. I mean, unless there is there, there's such division in the paranormal. Unless there was some sort of uh, governing body, which would never happen. I mean, there's there's certainly yeah. been talk of that. Uh, but unless there's some sort of a governing body that sets standards for investigation and sets methodologies, data analysis, uh, standards, etc., you're never going to get this into uh, the realm of serious science. Uh, serious scientists look down on folks in the paranormal, for the most part, uh, as being just hobbyists. They are the mom and pops uh, that are running around with forty, fifty dollar K two meters off of eBay and watching the TV shows. They're not looking at this as a legitimate science because there are so many. Um, there's there is such lack of standards. First of all, within the paranormal, you know that's that's one of the greatest things about legitimate science is that there are tried, true, proven standards that are followed. You've got the scientific method is out there at the forefront. It is a set of processes and procedures that you follow and every other group follows, and therefore you have standardization. That right. doesn't exist in the paranormal. And that's because so, mainly so, ego. <laughs> Just people it believe is, it. Yeah, their way it is. Yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah. all kinds of reasons. I don't even The paranormal is a mess. Every time I turn around and look at Facebook, there's some new group that's that's invited me to like their page or some new group starting up. And you go and you look at their page and, and you know, you've got – usually it's it's a male that runs the group. Sometimes it's females that run the group. But usually it's a male that runs the group. Uh, and it's it's they're surrounded with females that are in the group. And the first thing you normally see is they've got – They've got their black T-shirts on or their affliction T-shirts with the gelled hair. But usually they've got their the black T-shirts on with their paranormal logos on the shirt. And, you know, they, they've got that the hands crossed in front of their 
body look, and I mean, they're just totally looking, trying to look like like rock star paranormal studs. Yeah. Thugs. So. A scientist that would see something like that. I mean, do you have you ever seen uh, Stephen Hawking? Well, well, that's a that's a stretch. I mean, I'd like I'd like to see yeah. Stephen Hawking so, in an affliction T-shirt. Or Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, Kaku wearing the 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 affliction T-shirt and the gelled hair. I mean, that's just not something right. that you see. It's not something that's taken seriously when when you have that depiction. Well, it's <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. You're absolutely right about that. I never really gave it that much consideration because I just yeah. have written it's these so people off. It's culture-driven, you know? It is. It well, such, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've come to the conclusion that it's, uh, Larry made the point earlier that you really need to put research in quotes with this stuff because it's become, it's become as much a business as it is a, as it is a research endeavor. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. That's part and of the problem. it's big business, Tim. It's and it is big business. business for some folks, yeah. Yeah. I'm not making much myself, but I was never much of a businessman, so. Well, we don't have our own TV show, so we're not making any. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, we're putting out books that are kind of pushing the boundaries, and that's what we want to do. And Pushing the boundaries and pissing people off. Pissing people off. It's like, yeah, well, what? you guys are telling it like it is. I don't disagree with anything you said. I mean, yeah. the, as I said, it's it's turned into a business. Uh, I wouldn't even say for better or for worse. It's for worse. It's this sort of like... You wonder if it's – I've likened it to professional wrestling on the show a lot before, and it's like he, it's part of it's there – it's both a big con in a way, and it's right. sure. part of the business end of the paranormal is they, they don't want you to ever know that it's it, – it's probably – I mean, I like to think that it's not fake, quote-unquote, but it's kind of the same idea of professional. There's a big like sort of like don't look behind the mirror thing or don't look behind the curtain. It's right. they, they don't yeah. want you to know that we don't know the answer to UFOs. They don't want you to know that it may not right. be aliens. Right, right, exactly, because sure. that blows the whole glamorous ancient alien or I've been abducted, you know. It, it just really blows people's identities. Yeah. They, they, grab, they grab onto these identities so hard and they refuse to let go. And yeah. It's, ugh, it's like, don't you want to know the truth? Oh, no, 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 I just want to know the truth as I see it. That's what it is. Right, and they insist that they're on the you know the war path to get to the bottom of this, but in their in in their hearts and minds, I don't think they really are because they really if they did that, then the jig would be up on their stuff. Well, so. and I think too, if you really are on the war path to get to the truth, you got to be willing to do an awful lot of really boring reading and research into all arenas of science, from anatomy to biology to quantum physics to you know, endocrinology even. I mean, if you really, truly want to get to the truth, you need to no, be well-read and widely read. And nobody wants to do that because that's not glamorous. Hmm. No, it's not. It's not and I fun. think that you also have to be – you also have to be able to reconcile the idea that your idea may not be correct. Right. Exactly. Right. You have to be comfortable with the idea of being wrong. Yeah. And that's a tough pill to swallow for almost anyone. Oh, so. sure it is. Um, oh, uh, yeah, before I jumped into my, uh, viral mythology, I, one thing that was sort of uh, perplexing me, and I've, I asked you to sort of bring these things down to sort of a basic level. We talked about information in a lot of ways here. I guess, how does science see information? Does it see it as 
Because I, 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 I'm perplexed by how to sort of uh, envision it in my mind. You know, Dimension? Just, like, how, what is it? Well, no. I mean, information is sort of a catchphrase for everything that has ever been manifested in a, in a physical sense, I guess you could say, whether it's force, uh, you know, energy, matter, form. It's information. In other words, if you buy into information theory, it all comes down to its and bits. Hmm. But it's just the idea that whatever has been out there before, is now, and ever will be comes down to information. It, it, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe, isn't it, Larry? But really it means everything that has ever been physically manifest. Is yeah. like somehow in, encoded in the ether, if you set. will? Well, yeah, but see, you're yeah. a different set of information than Larry is. Hmm. You're both human, but you've got different parts, you know, different ideas, you have a different DNA, different makeup, whatever. But we're all made out of information, which literally dictates who we are, what we look like, uh, what species we are. Hmm. Uh, But that information can vary from thing to thing, from person to person. Experience to experience. And and we would keep reading about, you know, information, information. It's like, well, that sounds like a real computer technology-oriented term, and that's actually where it comes from. But it really is something that you constantly read about in terms of trying to describe everything that ever was, is, or will be. I know that sounds kind of religious, but I'm talking about things that have become physically manifest, whether you're talking about a planet, a galaxy, a person, or a blade of grass. It all comes down to information. Mm. Or even an orb. An orb. You know, an orb is, is information, too. It's sure. dust particle, but it's, you know. Yeah, just like the National Enquirer is a, is a, is a publication. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I guess it's like your stamp. You know, it's like your, your physical stamp, your inf- the information that makes up who or what you are or what a computer is or what a, a glass or a bottle is. Well, I feel like because... I, I, I'm understanding you, but I'm still trying to like put it into it's abstract. Yeah, well, like I said, really like a dimension. Is. You wonder if it if it if it is a dimension that we don't quite. Well, I think information just permeates everything. So it's just like a basic fabric, kind of. Yeah, if something is going to become physically manifest, so that you can perceive it, it's it's created from pieces of information. Some of those pieces may be red, human. Short, ugly, you know, <laughs> stupid. Um, God, it's hard to really verbalize it. And I think we've seen it enough in all of our research that we, we get it on a sort of intrinsic, you know, subconscious sense. But yeah, it's just sort of the science, scientist's way of saying stuff. Yeah. The stuff from which everything evolves and is made manifest. It's a it's a tricky topic, that's for it sure. Is. And I yeah. give you guys kudos because it's a difficult thing to really uh, wrap your mind around. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been other names for it, you know. I'm getting some weird reverb here, Larry. Is. Yeah, we are. I think Larry's doing it. It's the orbs. <laughs> what do you want? Like a cell phone or something? <coughs> or, or speaker phone? No, it's my orb phone. All right. <laughs> try and contain it. Smart ass. Larry. I'll try. <laughs> 
Jesus, you know, you know what's happening, Tim, is he's starting to disintegrate into his other reality. We have to hold on as long as we can. Yeah, he's melting into the ether here. He's melting into yeah, the my, ether. Yeah, my other reality of my bed, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about viral mythology. Now, this one just came out uh, relatively recently. And as I yeah. said, uh, the subtitle here is here, uh, How the Truth of the Ancients Was Encoded and Passed Down Through Legend, Art, and Architecture. So how did this all come about? And Give me a little thumbnail on the book. Wow, this is a sort of a deviation from stuff we've done before, but I think this book is really cool mm-hmm. and uh, it's getting in you know, a really good reaction. We sort of wanted to write about whether or not there was truth, whether historical, scientific, spiritual, whatever, whether there was truth embedded in stories. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of morphed into looking at how we communicate ideas and information again using uh, using certain means, whether it's primitive rock art and cave art or, you know, more sophisticated methods of art, architecture, writing. How do we find the truth, though, that is trying to be conveyed in those methods of communication? And how did things go viral a long time ago? How did ideas spread from region to region, nation to nation, continent to continent? thousands of years ago before they had the internet, before they had cell phones and texting and social networking? And why did certain ideas spread and not others? Mm. So that really sort of morphed into a book that really examines looking for truth in, I don't want to say non-truthful means, but, uh, you know, indirect ways. Yeah, out of uh, yeah, yeah. Now I, I had a word there for it, but I yeah. you know, obscure peripheral ways, maybe. Right, exactly. Because the funny thing is that we found out is that the greatest truths are often communicated in those very ways, instead of directly to you. Um, we we write nonfiction books. We talk about facts and statistics and theories, but sometimes that doesn't quite get to people on the deep enough level where they really grasp it. But if you tell somebody a story and you embed that same factual information into that story, or if they go see a movie or a TV series, they get it on a whole different, deeper level. I think it really speaks to the subconscious where they they kind of get it. I'm really interested in this because we just did a show about, uh, it hasn't aired yet, but it's about so sort of like how the ancients all through time and really probably knew about America and were coming here and... Uh, it was just a big secret. Exactly. I think they knew a lot of stuff. And this is really our way of saying, how do we go back and find out what they knew? Because they didn't leave us nonfiction books, did they? You know, hmm. it seems like they embedded most of their uh, ideas and understanding of the world around them in their myths, in their religious writings, in their art. In their architecture, whether whether it's the pyramids or Easter Island or different monuments or beautiful churches and temples that had so much symbolism encoded in them, it's like, what were they trying to tell us? And how do we today try to properly interpret that? Well, it's remarkable that it's sad that the mainstream, they look at, the, at where we are today as this straight line of upward... Uh, evolution as far as thoughts and ideas and stuff. And it's just very frustrating for people like me and you guys who are are 
really more open to the idea that there was a lot more going on in our history that 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 we can be so blinded to. Right. Do we really know what our history is? Because let's put it this way. How much of the ideas and information that made it from there to here is accurate? How much got lost? How much was suppressed? How much was altered, rewritten? Anytime a, a new uh, civilization was conquered by another civilization, they literally rewrote their history. Yeah. And so destroyed all their dead. stuff. Yeah, so. exactly. Destroyed all their artifacts and all the evidence of who those people were. And now here we are left with very little clues as to the uh, credibility or the um, accuracy of our own history. Well, it's interesting. You guys have examples of uh, stuff where science is passed down in, in myths and legends and stuff like that, which is interesting. It's Because it, it, I think that a critical part of the book that uh, people need to wrap their minds around, too, is that the we live in a completely different world now. It's hard to even imagine, but they weren't people couldn't just write books back in the day before the printing right. before the printing press. People literally could not really write books. So it's, it was yeah, it was all orally passed down, or it was passed down through other means, like their art, their architecture, scratching stuff on the, the side of a cave wall. Yeah, so we're so we're we're bound by the limitations of these previous worlds, which far outnumber us in time wise. Exactly right. Which is the challenge of it all. But we still can learn so much about what they were probably thinking or trying to tell us by what goes viral today, mm-hmm. because we're still human. I mean, right? We're they were human. We're human, and so what turns us on today? That, that makes us spread an idea or a piece of information that's given us probably was the same thing that they went through. And so we have to try to understand that whatever information did make it, all those thousands of years that did survive, that wasn't suppressed, burned down, you know, buried under the Vatican or whatever, that it was important enough to keep it going, to sort of, you know, keep the chain going, whether they passed on orally or through written means or through art, it was important enough to them to get it down and try to let it keep passing on from generation to generation. But we're still missing so much of that because, let's face it, throughout our history, there were political and religious leaders that did not want certain pieces of knowledge or certain types of information to survive because it went against what they needed the populaces to believe mm. so yeah. that they could control them. Was that a sneeze? Bless you, Larry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You've touched on the concept of the ancient aliens earlier, but uh, how much of that do you get into in the book, and, and what's your take on all that? Because that seems... Ooh, I'm going to let Larry take that one. That, yeah, I had a feeling this would be a Larry, yeah, this would be a Larry, a Larry one. one. I would definitely recommend switching to a style of underwear with no fly. Okay. You got to do it, man. You got long balls, Larry. Long balls. You got long-ass balls. I've got long balls? Doctor, you've seen his balls, right? W- would you say my balls were unusually long? They're a bit more distended than the average testicles. You got long-ass balls, Larry. Long ball, Larry. That's your new name. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I've got long balls. What the hell no? Long balls. Change the draws. So well, what, what I mean, do you we, think, Larry? What's, what's your what's your take on the ancient? Because now it's starting to get a little bit lazy in a way. Now the people are just like it's aliens for everything, and sure, you know, especially the ancient aliens. 
Well, I mean, we do cover we do cover it in the book. Um, obviously, that is a, a very important part of uh, when you think viral mythology and you think of uh, especially ancient Egypt, you automatically think uh, there had to have been some sort of secondary help for, for, from a technological standpoint. So we do talk about it. Um, my personal beliefs, is that what you're asking, Tim? Or do I, do I, think I suppose, yeah, yeah. I think that, yes, um, I wouldn't consider myself a, a ancient alien um, proponent, but at the same time, I'm not against it. Uh, I, I think certainly that there are, there are bits and pieces and clues of history uh, that, that really make you have to wonder. Uh, for instance, um, in Egypt, there's a couple of, of different uh, hieroglyphic hieroglyphics that uh, seem to portray a more modern technology. Uh, one is the, the Dendera light bulb, for instance. There's a, a glyph of what would appear to a modern human as a light bulb. It looks like there are two men that are holding this, this long, elongated object. Uh, it, it seems to be tr- uh, transparent or semi-transparent. It's connected by some type of a, a, of a cord or cable to a box. It looks for all intents purposes like it's, it's a handheld light source, like it is a light bulb. And in fact, people, that's how it kind of got the term Dendera light bulb because people believe that it's a light bulb. But if you look beyond that and you look at actual history uh, or historical fact, when they were excavating uh, and, and mapping out the uh, the king's chamber, or the, actually the, the entire pyramid, uh, the king's pyramid, the, the big pyramid, uh, one of the things that they found, or actually I should say one of the things they did not find, uh, was the lack of any discernible soot marks within the passages. Now, you would think that in ancient culture, uh, from what we know, they would have used some type of a, a torch-based illumination. They would yeah, have used an, some that. type of uh, an oil-based or uh, tar-based uh, solution that would have emitted very thick black smoke as it burned. And as a result, we should have found uh, um, black markings uh, within the walls. We have not. Um, so that is, is kind of an, a very interesting side note, and it certainly does somewhat back up the idea uh, of the possibility uh, that that there was some type of uh, electrical light source that was used in the in the building of the pyramid. Now, is that fact? Do we know for sure that that, that was the case? No, obviously we don't. Uh, but circumstantially, yeah, I mean, the evidence certainly points to that as a possibility. We know that the ancient Egyptians likely had electrical power to a certain extent. Uh, the Baghdad battery is a is a item that we've discovered produces an electrical voltage. Uh, we actually have discovered pieces of jewelry that were very primitively electroplated uh, from Egyptian antiquity. So that requires electricity. It requires a polarity uh, to be able to do that. So we know that there was at least some utilization of electricity in a very basic form. So is it really a stretch to say that perhaps they figured out a way to illuminate as well? Maybe. One of the other things is another um, hieroglyph that we discovered uh, was one that has been named the Saqqara Glider. And the Saqqara Glider is kind of interesting. Um, it's very divided. Uh, there's a lot of 
proponents and just as many uh, naysayers and detractors of it. But to to a modern individual looking at this uh, glyph, it appears, for all intents and purposes, to be some type of a uh, of an aircraft. It looks like it is a flying device. It looks it's got wings. It's got a tail section. It looks like a glider or an airplane. Now, Egyptologists will tell you that it's nothing but a iconic representation of a bird. But for all purposes, it, it certainly has has uh, no similarity, at least as far as I'm concerned, and many other people in the field are concerned, to a bird. It, it looks more like an airplane than it does a bird. Yeah, birds don't have you know tail sections like this thing does. I mean, it certainly it looks like a glider or like an airplane. So there's, there's the I mean, there's a lot of anecdotal. Yeah, all of the iconography, the glyphs that look like spacemen or some type of spacecraft. Yeah, oh, yeah. Some guy with a helmet on with a hose, you know, they look like moon suits. You can't ignore that stuff, but it doesn't necessarily prove no, that they were being visited by, by aliens. Um, right. Yeah. There's also the idea that they could have, uh, it's, uh, it sounds so cheesy, but it's like the aliens could have been us because we did, the planet's really old. It could have been, I'm a big proponent of the idea of ancient civilizations before the Sumerians even, like rising oh, and sure. falling and the idea that, yeah. you know, we're, we may be on like the fourth incarnation of, of this sure. great civilization. Yeah, right. yeah. No, we only no. go back so far, and that's because we've only dug up so far, you know, but you're right. The thing is, is though, like Larry was saying, we found, there were different theories that could explain huge leaps and advancements and over certain periods of time in our history and also how, you know, how information got from one part of the world to the other without means of the technology we have today. And for each and every one of those theories, including the ancient alien theory, we found all kinds of circumstantial evidence to support sure. it. Mm. But, yeah. So does that mean that they all were at play? They were all happening, um, but I think we can look at today. You know, today we have huge leaps in advancement from 50 years ago to today, and we didn't really need any alien help. At least I don't think we had any. I could be wrong, but I think that sometimes we sell ourselves short as human beings, and we may have been capable of those leaps without any help. Right. An interesting sort of other challenge of all this idea of sort of the conveyance of ideas throughout time is uh, we, we said earlier, you know, you're, you're faced with the conundrum of the difficulty of sort of studying a past where the documentation is so scarce. Right. But then here we are in the modern era where the documentation is the opposite so of scarce. Much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you wonder what kind of legacy we're going to leave behind uh, uh, just, uh, oh, just yeah. a sea of paperwork for future generations. Right. So yeah, and it's. It's like, okay, which one is more difficult? Trying to piece together your history based on, you know, having only half the puzzle pieces or trying to put together a puzzle where you've got piece, way too many mm. <laughs> to actually make the picture that's on the box. That's tough. Well, but also, I think you also have to, to realize how much of a digital society we are. So just to, just kind of a, a fun little experiment here. Say that there was there was some massive cataclysmic event that that wiped man off the face of the earth. If it was something electrical in nature, some kind of a a huge solar storm or some kind of huge EMP pulse that also wiped right. out every hard drive and every digital means of storage, 
how much written knowledge or inscribed knowledge would we be leaving behind today? Because the ancients inscribed these things in rock, which were designed to last for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But now, you know, we are carving our legacy basically into uh, into very temporary, by comparison, um, means. Hmm. So, you know, a thousand years from now, when a new society comes along or, or aliens pop down to our world to explore it, and they see the, the vast ruins and remains, what is our history? What what history will we still have that will be available to them where they'll be able to, to understand us any better than we've been able to understand our ancient forefathers? Yeah, that's true. They're going to have different different frustrations that, than what we have looking back. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the challenge of it all is, you know, like Larry was saying, let's say we get wiped out by a giant flood and that ruins all the hard drives and everything, and then the aliens come later, they're going to be like, oh, they must have been telepathic because they never wrote anything down. Or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, we still have books, but the flood could probably wipe out the right. books, too. Yeah. So then we're really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but even yeah. just, if you... If you based a the understanding of a society on its its architecture or what was yeah. remaining of its architecture, I mean, do you think our architecture or any any monuments that we've left behind, do you think that would actually portray us as a species? I don't. It would say that we we were overcrowded. We all yeah, lived yeah. in urban like in the same places. We were messy. We we were so wasteful. I always think, what are they going to think when they see our landfills of trash? Well, what do you yeah. think they see uh, from outside the Earth? There's a huge, like, ring of trash outside the Earth yeah. that people don't yeah. know about. Yeah, sure. amazing. Sure. It's sure. like they're going to make judgments and assumptions of us based on all that. Be- the same as we have done. The good stuff, yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because coming back to the idea of the viral mythology, it's if we stay within the hypothetical world of the planet being wiped out, if they did come back and they were looking at what would remain, one of the interesting things is there's a sports arena down in Memphis uh, that's the, a pyramid. Yeah, that was, was built like recently. <laughs> so they, 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 they it would flummox even the aliens. Yeah. They would be say, "What, what is with these guys in the pyramids? Uh, yeah. This one's like." Hey, didn't like we thousands. give them that technology? Stuff? Yeah, and they're like well, they're still building these things and trying yeah. to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's a, it's an interesting idea of uh, knowledge being spread through time. Right. And and I, I think it's heartbreaking for a lot of us too to think about what never made it, whether oh, it yeah. got burned or destroyed or hidden away or just altered. How much truth just that we're never going to know. I mean, yeah. I don't know that we ever will. And so it just makes you feel really incomplete in terms of who we are as a, as a, the history of our species. Exactly, yeah, because we don't know, and it's it, it's frustrating. That's the really the gist of it all. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I think for archaeologists and historians and people that that that's their living, I think I would be so frustrated. Well, I'd be excited every time I discovered something new, some new puzzle piece. But it also has to be incredibly just you know just distressing to think that what about all the stuff that we're never going to find. You know, what if we, it's like doing a 1,500-piece puzzle with only 700 pieces. Yeah. You might be able to get some kind of idea what the picture should be, but it's not going to be complete. Right. But maybe that's really all we get. That's all we have to settle for, you know? 
Now, Larry, you talked about the outliers and these things that are found that don't make any sense where they were found. Yeah. Why do you think the the people in charge, whether it's the archaeologists or the uh, Egyptologists, why do you think they just shoot it down, dismiss it so quickly? Wouldn't it would you would think that they would want to be more? If I was Egyptian and, I, and, and you know we found this flyer thing in the pyramid, I'd be like, oh, right. we invented flight, man. We invented it. See, here's the proof. It would be like a point of of, of cultural pride. But oh, absolutely, it's not I, the case. I would agree. But at the same time, you also have to think about the religious ramifications of any type of of huge changing event like that. I mean, you're talking basically the the redo of every known religion and religious ideology that we have. I mean, you're talking about, especially when you introduce the idea of extraterrestrials or some type of extraterrestrial intervention, you have to rewrite basically not only our history, but also all religious history as well. And I I think to a large extent that it's driven by fear. And I think that fear of change as well as just the the fear of the unknown. If you release that information to the the unsuspecting populace, if all of a sudden tomorrow we get, there's a news conference that's called, President Obama launches a news conference to tell us that uh, we're in contact with extraterrestrials and we have been since Roswell or whatever, I, I think you've got the real fear, especially by the leaders, that there would be some type of a, of a revolution, a, a, a revolt, that, you know, that how dare you suppress this knowledge for me for the last however many hundreds of years, you know, I, I think it would just, it would be a, it would be but, a, a very... But Larry, what if you asked one of those aliens, was Jesus real? And they said, who? Or is there a God? Yeah. And they said, huh? Or yeah. you know, was uh, was Muhammad real? If, if you're totally pulling the rug out from under people's identities, sure. and yeah, what absolutely. also if those aliens said, "Guess what? But we've been breeding with you guys for thousands of years," and yeah. then you've got people just freaking out because they're part alien. Right. So yeah, it's almost like the reasons are power and control. Power, yeah. fear, and control. Those three yes. things, I think, keep the truth sometimes from. And it's also kind of like, Tim, we were talking earlier about how scientists look at the paranormal. If they can't apply the scientific method to it and prove it, they they brush it away. And I think with these archaeoenigmas, if you can't readily explain them, and you're, you know, you're in the academic field, it's so much easier to just pretend they don't exist. Yeah. But then yeah. Admit, the you don't Absolutely. know where they came from, right? Yeah. Right. You don't want to stick yeah. your neck out if you're trying to get <laughs> exactly. tenure and you got a wife and kids and stuff. Right. You don't right. want to admit to your your you know anybody that you here you are with a PhD, but you don't know what the heck this thing is or how it got there. Hmm. Yeah. So you're like, I just didn't get the email. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly. it's a memo. <laughs> now, did you look at the one of the things I find really vexing? I presume you guys looked at it. Was the um, that weird medical symbol that has the two snakes that looks just yeah. like DNA? Oh, the. Uh-huh. I've always found that just to be such a such a smoking gun of of evidence for some kind of advanced knowledge of genetics, if if because the two are so similar that it doesn't make any sense, and it's connected to medicine, so it's and that's proof that symbols right. were conveyors of information and knowledge before we had the ability to really describe them in writing. Mm, that we yeah. use symbols to say this is this is something you need to know. Whether it was a, a cross or a star or a, a you know, a, a serpent inner 
intertwined around a pole or whatever. Right. Symbols are information. And they actually speak to the right brain and the subconscious in a way that, um, you know, all the left brain writing doesn't get to. Mm. I think you show right. somebody a symbol and you don't have to say a word. You show someone a picture of a dog in a circle with a slash through it. They know mm. right away what that means. No dogs allowed. You don't sure. even have to say a word. You know, it's just sort of a universally understood way of communicating. Mm-hmm. Now, I just, uh, this is kind of a joke and kind of a serious question, but does that slash thing have a name? The what thing? The slash thing, the Ghostbuster sign. Oh, does it? I don't think it, it does. The no, the, it means, you know, denying it or no or, I don't know, that's weird, that's I mean, a good question. Yeah. The no, no slash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a no slash. The anti-slash, yeah. like the Antichrist, it's the anti-slash. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's like a mainstream story about how that snake entwined staff became what it is. The, what's it called, Larry? The Cadacius? Yeah, I thought it had something to do with Moses when he casts down the rod and it turns into a serpent. <clears throat> no, it goes, it goes way before that. It goes way back before to, that. To, yeah, yeah. 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 I think it is a secret message about genetics and stuff. Yeah, I know. It actually, I'm, I'm just reading up here to make sure that I'm on the same page here. Yeah, it actually dates back between three and 4,000 BCE. Oh, wow. wow. So, yeah. So we're talking like Sumerian-type level. Old, yeah, stuff. old stuff. That's actually, yeah, that's exactly. It was found on, originally found on some Mesopotamian cylinder seals. So, yeah, it's old, old stuff. Yeah, and that just brings you back into the whole idea of the genetic tinkering, whether it was aliens or somebody else. Uh, right. Well, and us trying to interpret an ancient, ancient, ancient symbol that we don't really know what the the motive or agenda was behind it, or really what it was, they knew. Are right. we interpreting it correctly? Because there was no right. key left with that symbol saying, if you see this, you know, on right. a potter, piece of pottery, this is what it means. Well, there's also the idea that we've talked about this sort of in the past, too, that um, that the quote-unquote like secret societies had advanced knowledge that probably is mainstream. Some of it has become just regular knowledge to us. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe they knew how electricity worked all along, but they it was kept secret by the by the small school of people that knew what it was all about. Right, right. And I think a lot of more spiritual knowledge, too, definitely. But today, I don't think you can pull off secret societies as easily because information is so readily available yeah. in all of there's its always, forms. There's always someone walking by with a camera cell phone. Mm. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, you can go on the Internet and you can find every angle on some on an idea from the most extreme conspiracy angle to, you know, the most conservative to the most open-minded to the wacky to the new age. I mean, you can take one subject and find a million different angles on it, whereas, you know, in our past, because, again, of religious and political authority figures, their angle was the one that got passed down. Their angle was the one that everybody bought into. Mm. And if you differed, if you had a different idea, you either shut up or you died. So the way for those different different people to pass their ideas on was to encode it or embed it uh, in objects or art or what have you, or to form secret societies where they trusted each other to pass that information down throughout the generations. 
Now, did you look at the Renle Chateau? Because that seems to be people go oh, crazy about this. That it's yeah, like packed yeah. with symbols and stuff like that. What's your yeah. What's your take on that? Because we I don't think we've ever talked I about it. I want to go show. so badly before you know the tourists destroy it. And I know they keep on excavating and and rebuilding and doing stuff. But the the whole Magdalenian legend or myth, if you will, that Christ was married and that he and Mary Magdalene ended up in that area and were buried there. The symbology and the iconography in that, in the, uh, the church, some of the imagery, it's very Templar. Other is Freemasonry and, Hmm. yeah, I'd love to go there. I have a lot of friends that have gone and they just said it's, you know, it blows you away, but Again, it's been, I know it's been, um, re- not restructured, refurbished, or one of those. There's yeah. been a lot of work done on it. Yeah. Say, over it's the like last Joan Rivers. Year. Right, yeah. It's had some uh, plastic surgery. So you kind of wonder, did they mess with some symbolism that they didn't even realize they were altering? <coughs> oh, I'm sure that's entirely possible, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then again, how much of it is based on the legend that was created from Dan Brown, you know, with the Da Vinci Code? Because right. he really took a piece of fiction and embedded some actual legend and possible truth in it. Now you have all these tourists going to Renle Chateau looking for the symbols that he wrote about, whether they're fictional or not. And that created a whole new mythology around that location. It's kind of hard to separate the two now. That's true, yeah. You get the layering effect on that, yeah. 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 Uh, but, you know, Christ was supposed to be buried there in a tomb and... To this day, though, nobody's found any evidence of that. I don't know how much excavating has gone on uh, around the area. I know they've dug into one of the columns. I know they've done a little digging beneath uh, the main church or the main building and not found much, even though legend says there were some documents in there that were part of the the big myth uh, surrounding the area. But we really don't know. We don't know if this is a whole big fictional made-up myth or something phenomenal really occurred there, and it's hiding some amazing secrets that we haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah, well, it kind of goes to kind of what I was thinking about earlier, too, where it could just be a dude who had the connections and knew secret stuff and embedded and coded and, and things. He did but, it. Well, what's his name? Sonier? Yeah, uh, something who, like that. Who made a lot of money all of a sudden. Mm. So he he may have found something there that was worth a lot of money, or he may have created... You know, a myth or a legend that benefited him financially. It's a weird story. It's probably one we won't get any real information on, though, because exactly. it's like the, yeah. the powers that be. But it's still really about. cool to think. You know, could it be? <laughs> right. It's yeah, yeah. Um, now I only got you for ninety minutes here, so we'll we'll wrap it up very soon. But uh, okay. I, I joked with you when I got you on the phone, Larry. Uh, Marie didn't hear me, but. For some reason, I'm obsessed with this story, and I'm just going to throw it out there. It has nothing to do with uh, viral mythology or the grid, so I apologize. But I presume you have an opinion on this missing plane. Um, uh, yeah. What do you think of it now? You're probably you sound like you're uh, tired of it because it's been missing so. Well, long. this is this is not a topic we Marie wants to talk about. Uh oh. What? No, I, no, that's not <laughs> true. I mean, I think it's it's a mile or two down the water, and it has been all this time. I just was disgusted with the 
sheer lack of empathy or compassion for the people that are probably dead Mm. and all the proliferation of conspiracy theories without ever allowing the natural process of finding a downed plane to unfold. I mean, I was shocked within the first couple of days by some of the stuff I was seeing, yet not one person said, oh, my God, you know, I feel so awful for these people and their families. The humanity was completely out of the picture. Yeah. So that's why, Larry, uh, that just disgusted me. That's an entirely valid point. I think that uh, there's a lot to talk about with this story. That's what I find so interesting about it. There's many layers to it. How closely have you been following this? I've been following it. I followed it very closely until, like, last week, and now I'm... Still, I'm following it slightly closely. Are you say. following it through traditional mainstream media, CNN, Fox News, or are you looking elsewhere? CNN and Reddit. So Reddit. I, okay. I got a right. well, Reddit, I don't know if you've seen Reddit lately, but now apparently, and I'm not going to give my opinion on this because I, I, I don't really know enough about it yet to give my opinion, uh, but apparently on Reddit several days ago, there was a post from... Let me see if I can find this real quick. Uh, it was on Reddit originally, because I remember reading it on there, too. I'm a, I'm a big Reddit fan as well. Okay, so basically, there was a black image that was posted to Reddit by an anonymous person, and by forensic analysis of the exit data from the graphic, the, the text, that it said something like, uh, I've been held hostage by an unknown military force, uh, Something else. Yeah. Um, there was a there was three or four lines that this guy supposedly sent, but via forensic analysis of the EXIF data from the photo, they were able to actually get the GPS coordinates, and the GPS coordinates came back to a U.S. military base uh, right within the path of where they were searching, called Diego Garcia. Mm, I don't yeah, know anything this about theory. this place. Yeah. I don't I don't know the history, but. I do know forensics. That's what I do. And I, I can tell you it is very, very, very difficult to uh, falsify exit data in a photo. So according to this guy's post and according to theories, all these um, people that have um, conspiracy come out of the woodwork theory. now. Hmm. Yeah, conspiracy so theories. Uh, the government took the plane to Diego Garcia, right? That's kind of yes, the theory. Yes, he supposedly, this guy's stuffed his iPhone in his ass, and they put a bag over this guy's head and, and stuck him in a, a jail cell, apparently. So he used the voice-activated uh, Siri function on his phone to send this message, and he sent it to Reddit, uh, probably because that would be much easier uh, than trying to actually text it to someone or email it to someone. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, I don't know if, it's, if this is legit or not, but... There were some some folks that took that photo and they were able to. It looks just like a black photo, but you can do some manipulation. Right, you can read channel. the exit data on it. Yeah. Well, besides the exit oh. data, they're able to actually take the alpha channel graphic or the alpha channel information, increase the the brightness and intensity of the photo, and you can actually make out uh, what looks like a person wearing some kind of a black uh, mask or something over his head in a very dark black room. Jesus. So I don't know if there's anything to this. I mean, the fact that this photo, uh, they haven't found any wreckage whatsoever to me is really strange. But there, it's there's... not if you read about plane crashes in the past. Oh, I have. The same thing happened. And they I have, were but not able always... to find wreckage because it was, first of all, they were looking in a completely different place. Sure. Two weeks sure. later, that's an awful lot of time for wreckage to sink. That's an awful lot of time for waves to carry it thousands of miles away. And oh, absolutely. That's an awful lot of time. If the plane plummeted a couple of miles down, you're never going to find sure. 
90% uh, well, of that wreckage. But there's still always going to be some type uh, no, I agree with you, though, We can't just let a plane crash be a plane crash and I know. instead focus on the fact that there are dead people and families grieving. I don't get why well, that's people the thing, are Well, that's part of it, though. We don't Larry's, know. Yeah, we don't see. know for sure whether but these you know people what? are dead. It, it, gives, it, it adds a, a seed of hope you to the whole story. You cannot tell me that Malaysia, China, India, the United States, and Australia are all in this conspiracy together. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that all <laughs> countries would be, but certainly if I one is. I would sooner believe that that thing got sucked up by an underground or underwater vortex than to believe that there is some big conspiracy involving all these different countries, half of whom hate each other's guts. I mean, it's just You're right. Insane. But, okay, so there already is a conspiracy. If you if you've watched today's news on CNN, now they've come out and, and uh, they basically said that the initial – uh, flight information that was supposedly oh, it was relayed. Like words off, yeah. Right, right. It doesn't yeah. matter. It it's still makes you question the integrity of the entire investigation. I, well, yeah. it, makes, it does. It, it automatically it does. calls. It calls. It does, a, a but it doesn't mean that you have to go down the road of wacky people posting stuff to Reddit. I mean, no, absolutely that not. To me, is right. like, where it can that guy show me absolute proof? Put it before the the public. Where's your proof? You can't just post something on Reddit. Sure. And, oh, absolutely. And, you yeah. know, I mean, I agree. It's just I get so frustrated. But, it, but at the same I, no, time, Larry, I, Marie, you know I, 100%, much I love a good conspiracy. I know. <laughs> and I agree with you 100%. You know? But at the same time, there is no contradicting evidence. Yeah, that's what makes no this case so amazing. There is nothing. Flashing. There's no floated, floating wreckage at all. Usually when a plane crashes, usually there is some sort of uh, flotation uh, of wreckage. Right. I mean, not not but metal pieces, but you know, seat cushions, pieces of luggage. Waters, and if the waters are not stormy the way that they have been, and and if you focus on the area you thought the crash occurred in within the first two weeks, I mean, the really crappy thing about this situation is everybody's focus was on a whole different part of the world, sure. and then all of a sudden it was like, holy crap! Now we have to look over here. Guess what? Your wreckage is long gone. What there's been no oil slicks. Already, you know? There's been no seismometer reading I, of any type of crashes. But I think we got to find that black box before we can guess. And or there's only kind of yeah, and I think there's only what just a few more days before that thing runs out. Yeah, they got like ten days or less. Yeah. Well, it's a, well it can help from the passion on both it. sides that you're all kind yeah. of. It's a fascinating, fascinating it. story. It's just harder. Yeah, they can still find it. It's just a lot more difficult. I, I mean, I get really, I just get really frustrated at some of the stupid things, you know, Bigfoot. Or yeah, yeah. The U- people, anyone who's like thinking it's UFOs or something like that is 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 on no. the wrong trail. But I think I, I I see where Larry's coming from on this story. It's like you have to keep it as crazy. This is the craziest part. As crazy as the, the story is, you have to keep an open mind about it because we don't have anything that could. That from the information we have, that will rule out the the story of this guy sending the picture from the phone up his ass. Yeah, I mean, if one person that's the got a picture out, you'd have at least a few more. I just don't, I don't buy it, but that's me personally. Hmm. You know, for well, me, well, I'm you know, Larry and I aren't chartering a boat to Diego Garcia to like get to free these people, eighteen well, style. I mean, but. that's another thing. That's not that place doesn't exist in a in a vacuum. I mean, you know, if people really believe that, we could get somebody out there to look. And I think you're going to see a plane being held somewhere, a plane that size. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I just I, I, I was either. just so angry and frustrated the first few days when people weren't even acknowledging the fact that, you know, there was a grieving going on. It's hmm. like, ooh, I have a really good idea. Oh, yeah. What do you think, yeah. aliens? 
you know, how, how would you feel if your daughter was on that plane and you got all these idiots saying, oh, yeah, aliens probably beamed it up. Mm, yeah, I feel, but on, it, it, as, as sad as it is, uh, those people have even bigger fish to fry because they're not getting straight well, in. Like, no this, this story There's keeps no, changing and it's like well, and mad, it mad story keeps that. changing. There is no closure. At this point, there is no answers to anything. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean there are more questions than answers. You've got countries that are small, like Malaysia, and have very limited resources and may be a little bit inept in dealing with something of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that people are jumping down their throats when maybe they're just confused and scared and don't know what the hell's going on themselves. It's And they're not covering up some big secret because you've got other countries involved in this search, so they would all have to be working in collusion with Malaysia. That doesn't sound very feasible to me. And well, that's, a, that's assuming that Malaysia has you know? more information. I mean, maybe they don't. Maybe it's, I don't I'm not pointing fingers, but maybe it's one of the other countries that, you know. It could be. It could be. But hmm. I would say that Malaysia probably doesn't have that kind of power or capability. Yeah. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so either. But yeah. there certainly are other countries that would be hospitable to having a very large weapon in their arsenal like that. I mean, I don't. Well, I, I, there's also I, I have issues that, with know, the U.S. With, with if we hijack the plane or we have this thing at, at a U.S. Uh, military facility, I have issues with that because what the hell would we be doing? Right, right. Something but what like that. But now, if it's facility, if it's Turkey you know? or if it's Iran or Iraq, if it's one of those crackpot countries that are just looking to pull the trigger on us, yeah, I could see that. I could see that being, you know, nine eleven part two. But I mean, yeah. I don't. As much as I, I love a good conspiracy theory. This to me, it's interesting. But it's, I, I don't see my government doing don't. that. Right, yeah. right. I, I think it's, it's such a fascinating mystery, and it's, it's, it, it's a, it, it is a double-edged sword. Marie's right. Yeah. I mean, everyone forgets about the victims because it's such a titillating a mystery. Family. My God, I, the last thing I would want to hear, as a grieving family member, are these, you know. Wacky theories that get me hopeful again when I see what you're that saying, plane yeah. just went yeah, down sure. in a really deep part of the ocean, and closure could have happened two weeks ago had people known exactly where the trajectory of that plane was. Yeah. I don't know. It's just I have a feeling one day they're going to find the plane yeah. or the black box, and then you know everybody's going to. Right now, everybody's focusing on the big earthquake in Chile and how that's mm. because of HARP. You know, oh, there's always God. something. <laughs> always like a conspiracy. Yeah, there's yeah. There's always a conspiracy. Well, the, the weird part is, like, even if they find the plane, the conspiracies will probably never really go oh, away. Oh, they will. On this thing. They will. And I feel bad for the Malaysian government because they genuinely may have just screwed up. And, you know. I'm sure they, yeah, they definitely screwed up. I don't think anyone's debating yeah. that. Um, yeah. But, no, Larry, I mean, I'm not mad or anything. I just get really passionate oh, no. about no, that. No, no, no. Yeah, we all, you know, you know. The first couple of days, I was just shocked. I was like, I didn't see one person say, and then later you started to see some people saying, you know, why don't we say a prayer or have a moment of silence for what might have happened to these people. I thought, God, are we losing our humanity for the sensationalism or what? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's part of our viral mythology, I guess. In a way it is. I mean, well, yeah. it's kind of... You don't want to say it's cool, obviously, because of what happened to all the people and everything, but there's a sort of neat, I guess, element to things. Where it's like you, Sometimes we get in this field for so long, you're like, what, 
We're on, we're the new mysteries. The enigma, right. yeah. And then you and see it, you know, things that happen, and you somebody, see a new enigma. Yeah, somebody said, oh, that's one of, uh, what's his name, Yvonne Sanderson's vile vortices right off that okay. coast of Western Australia. And it's like, okay, well, maybe it did get sucked into an Earth-based wormhole or something, but let's wait and find out. Well, I guess we wouldn't find out if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we all we all react to the mystery of it. And you don't want to like, 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 like we were saying about how, since we don't have any information on where it is, we, the, the there is still this weird remote possibility that these people exist somewhere somehow. I possible. would love that. Yeah. I would think that'd be so cool. And if they they got rescued or whatever, or yeah. maybe they're on Gilligan's Island, I don't know, but that would be awesome. Like, here's an you idea know? for a movie. You, you, how about just the plane lands like on time a year later, and they don't know what happened. And I guess I think they made a movie like that, but. You know, something, yeah. who knows? It's well, a time remember skip. Loss? I mean, <laughs> that was a plane crash, you know? Exactly. Um, alright, I didn't know about this Chile and Harps things, but I'll have to look into that. But, oh, I oh, just saw geez, that. Come on, this people. is the Ring of Fire. You know, they have big earthquakes, but no, this is Harp. It's kind of scary though. You did write the book, uh, not Harp, but you, you did, before I let you go, you did write the book about the, uh, the super volcanoes. Wasn't there recently a big That's volcano thing, up there yeah. recently? And there is nothing going on in Yellowstone that hasn't been happening for years. There okay. Big swarms, the, the rising of the caldera, it's all been going on. My dad would be turning over, he's probably turning over in his grave at, at the sensationalism. When there are earthquakes, animals leave. Hello. <laughs> All right. So I have nothing to worry about right now. Well, I mean, well, we don't know. We don't know yeah. what happens before a super eruption because nobody is alive to tell about it. The last one was 28,000 years ago. But nothing is happening that indicates that that kind of an eruption, that intensity or that catastrophic eruption could occur. And yet you've got people all of a sudden, you know, the survivalism mode is turned on and I don't know. I guess people get off on that. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't even want to know, but yeah, they, they're out there. Um, yeah, this is, looks like it's a big earthquake there. Well, it was a 4.1. That's not big. I mean, they've had... Oh, no, I'm looking at the Chilean one. I'm sorry. Oh, in yeah. Chile, yeah. CNN's got but it. For Chile, it is, is not, you know, that's not unheard of. Mm. It's on that ring of fire. It says nine so significant aftershocks. California, yeah. you know, we're going to have our big one. We know we are, but it's not a conspiracy or a harp. It's it's the earth doing what it does. It moves. Yeah, you guys are you due know? for the for we're a due. earthquake. We're due, way due. <laughs> At least you all know it and you're okay with it. Yeah, you know? we're, we're ready. We're prepared. You get anything like that in Arkansas, Larry? No, I'm just too busy keeping an eye on the caldera. You guys have a lot of fracking quakes, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Arkansas, the uh, New Madrid fault line runs. Oh, that's right. You, yeah, you better watch your butt. They do a lot of fracking down there? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, every time I go into Walmart, I see examples. Oh, wait, no, we're talking about something else, aren't we? <laughs> oh, God. Yes, yes, uh, there is. There's quite a bit of, of wells and, and uh, oil isn't fracking. is like in the northwest part of the state? Where there's no, gas, it's like, natural no, gas. No, it's outside of Conway and Greenbrier. It's about 20 minutes from me. I've never yeah. felt one. I mean, in, I'm in, in Little Rock in central Arkansas, uh -huh. and they're slightly north of me, and I've I've not felt you anything. Felt We've had, I think, the I remember uh, seeing something on the news, I think it was like last year, where we had like a, a three-point yeah. something, but hell, I didn't feel it. I, I don't oh. 
Mm. Yeah, weird. But you are near that new Madrid, and that puppy's going to blow again yeah. one day. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'll yeah. keep checking the caldera. Make sure. Yeah. Make sure it doesn't blow. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, the books are Viral Mythology, How the Truth of the Ancients Was Encoded and Passed Down Through Legend, Art, and Architecture, as well as The Grid, Exploring the Hidden Infrastructure of Reality. Trying to take a sort of untraditional uh, tack with this interview by just, just yeah, but we always tackling it in different ways. Time. Yeah, no, I was, I was just thrilled. I really was. I was yeah. like, wow, we really got into some deep issues here on this and, and tried to tackle it all. Now, what's next for you guys? Of course, the website paraexplorers.com is uh, where people should uh, head for more information. What's going on with the movie situation? Larry, should we tell what we're working on or what? Well, you were working on a movie before, right? Well, Let's keep it for the next show. The Hertz or something? 19 well, 19 hertz. hertz, we have the script. The, the movie thing we had going really didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But Larry and I are now writing a monster movie. But nice. it's got a scientific and archaeological twist to it. Okay. We're doing it for fun. But we're also actually, uh, after that, we're going to be working on a book called Gridwalkers, which will be fiction, but it's going to include some of the research and theories and ideas that we talked about in the grid. And it was, it, you know, we kind of got that idea after writing viral mythology. Can we write a fictional story that includes some scientific fact and theory in it? Okay, nice. And we, Wait. yeah, we have another nonfiction book that's possibly going to happen, but we we can't talk about that yet yeah. until it's finalized. So. Yeah. All right. And there is there is no mention in either of these projects for uh, about the caldera, so we'll have to work that in somehow. Yeah, harp. Uh, get harp in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can throw harp. Oh, we can definitely get harp in. Yeah. yeah. And a caldera. Yeah. Yeah, we and have to have that. Caldera. I like that word, though. So. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's in the fiction realm. Anything uh, within the realm of uh, what you guys have traditionally done? Anything people can Because I figure you guys are churning them out left and right here, so there must well, be one coming. you know, we put two books out towards the end of last year. I know. And, and we're, we're still actively promoting them, but we are... Uh, putting a proposal together for what we think might be our next nonfiction book. All right. Yeah. We, should we say what the subject is, Larry? No. Okay. no. Yeah, you don't have to, though. I feel like I'm going to go on the we'll keep, We're going to keep it on the DL for now. Yeah. But it will be That's fine, yeah. Yeah. I You'll be feel, the first I would feel, we'll, yeah. we'll message you and tell you. I'd feel weird. I'd be like, what? no. You'll love it. You'll love it. I think you'll love that. It'll be a good show. All right. All right. I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah. And I want to make sure before I let you guys go, we got to plug the uh, – the book here that Marie wrote with her son, because I think it's awesome. So talk <gasps> a little bit about People's that, Marie. Kid Hunting Organization. Oh, yeah. This is book one. We're working on book two, and it's going to be a lot spookier. We're going to be including some sci-fi technology stuff in it. But, yeah, it's doing really well, and we're going to be working with an anti-bullying group called Kids Against Bullying that um, we're going to be giving part of our royalty profits too. Nice. What's the name of it again? I think I interrupted you. Echo. And it's a real organization that my son started when he was in elementary school. Evil Kid Hunting Organization to spy on bullies. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's really cool. Your son's like seven, right? Well, no. Now he's, he just turned 13. Oh, wow. Jeez. So this happened in grade school. Yeah, it's been a while. He's a, he's a teenager now. Yeah. Oh, that must be fun. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, he's a cool kid. That's good. Guess you can always turn to – Larry has teenagers, right, Larry? Or you're, or you're no, hell no. Are you kidding? <gasps> La- oh, no, my God. I've got 
No, I've still got eight more years, seven more years. Ah, okay. I'm confused. Yeah, you, you used to mention the Disney the Disney radio, so I figured uh, that they've gotten yeah, older no. since then. But no, no, no. Now you no, just listen to Justin any... Bieber, right? Um, no, well, no, she, she's really down on Justin Bieber now after I've had to point out to her that Justin Bieber was arrested for smoking with his shirt off and spitting on people. Yeah. So, so she's not into Justin Bieber now. She's really kind of down on him. Now she's really into 1D. So, like, everything <laughs> involves One Direction around our house. One, Mary S. So likes One Direction? Oh, God. Marie, she's got oh. a toothbrush that plays a, a One Direction song. Oh, my God. So every freaking morning when I'm getting ready for work, oh I have to hear God. her listening. I have to, I have to hear the One Direction song that she's got going. <laughs> That's yeah, no, crazy. She, she's, a, she's got a huge crush on um, Harry, I Harry? think his name. I think Harry. Harry's adorable. Yeah, she's she's got a crush on He went on out him. with Taylor Swift. Yeah, he while. did, yeah. Wow. Did he really? Yeah, pretty wild. That's yeah. crazy. Oh, how funny! She's adorable. She's very spoiled, from what I hear. Never, never, never. All never, right. Never. Well, on that note, I can't thank you guys enough for coming back on the show. Now we know that Larry's yeah. up to speed on one D. I like how you how you. I was thinking one D. Who the says it so casually? Like he's yeah. Like he's well versed. Oh, it, in the, yeah. The canon. They're they're coming to. Uh, I think they're coming to Dallas. In a couple of months, or maybe it's Austin. You I don't have know, but to take her. Yeah, we've you already started to. planning the. Yeah. Oh my God. That's still <laughs> better than Justin Bieber. Just Justin Bieber is a real turd. She really had oh, a, a big thing. Yeah, I can't him. stand him. But That's I mean, never he's become liked him such a, He's become such an asshole that I mean, it, yeah. he is not a good representation for our kids. No, he's not. Well, from the sound of it, from what you're saying, it sounds like kids might be turning on him anyway, so it's good. I think it's good they thing. are. He's got one yeah. hit, you know, he's got that Vanilla Ice thing written all over him. He's, so, you know, not a one-hit yeah. wonder, but I think he's a, a relic of his time. Yeah, yeah I agree. So, but <laughs> you two <laughs> folks are not relics of your time. You are timeless, and that's why we have you on the show every thank every year. Thank you so much. So, it's well, been, thank you. It's we been love fun again. On. So thank yeah, you uh, for coming on the show. As I said, Para Explorers is the website, Viral Mythology, as well as The Grid. Those are the two books we talked about tonight. And uh, they'll be back, folks. Don't worry. So just sit tight. And uh, like I said, thanks again, guys. Always a fun conversation. It yeah, is. Definitely. Always. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 8. Big, big thanks to Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman for coming back on the program Be sure to check out the two new books, The Grid and Viral Mythology, as well as their previous books, 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, The Resonance Key, this book is from the future, The Deja Vu Enigma, and The Trinity Secret. If you want more from Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, of course, you can dive into the BOA Audio Archive and check out their many previous appearances. And you can catch up on what they're up to next at www.paraexplorers.com. Pretty simple, all one word, paraexplorers.com. Check it out. I should say also that I didn't mention this at the beginning of the program, but I did want to make a couple of points. First of all, I cannot put over Marie and Larry enough. Their work is tremendous. If somebody came to me tomorrow and asked for the 10 best BOA audio guests to present to the mainstream public and get some of these alternative ideas out there, 
Marie and Larry would be amongst that select group. They are doing some tremendous work, and they're not rehashing the same old stuff. They're really going into some truly innovative areas with their research. That's why we have them on the show every season, because I am a huge fan of their work. On a lighter note, I really meant to mention this at the beginning of the program, but I figured it might be best to kind of chuckle about it here at the end of the show. Hopefully I don't get a whole bunch of emails from critical BOA audio listeners with sensitive ears, because I have no idea what was going on during that conversation. It sounded like it was taking place at some kind of sick ward. It seemed like Marie, Larry, and myself were all sick during the conversation. There were sneezes, there were coughs. At one point during the show, there was a sneeze. I couldn't even figure out who actually sneezed, if it was Marie, Larry, or me. It was that bizarre. It was a ghost sneeze, I think. It was really very strange. So for the folks who are listening to this right now and have just finished the episode and are grumbling about the odd sick ward nature of the episode. I apologize, but that's what we do, folks. We get together and do these programs, even if we're just hanging on or battling a cold. Honestly, as I was editing the program, I actually found it mildly amusing as I went further and further into the interview. That's why I kept Larry's sneeze in the interview instead of cutting it out, because it just kind of kept going this strange theme of all of us being under the weather. Once again, of course, though, thank you to Marie and Larry for coming on the show. Always enjoy the conversation with them and really already looking forward to talking to them on BOA Audio Season 9. Moving right along now, it is time once again for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. We have eschewed this segment for far too long, so I dug into the BOA Audio Listener Feedback mailbag and dug out four different emails from various BOA Audio listeners. The first one comes from Matt, and here's what he has to say. I'm from England and have been living in Sydney for five years. I have just stumbled across your podcasts, and they are awesome. The Stanton Friedman interviews are absolute gold. Wanted to say thanks and would love a shout-out if you ever get the chance. I try to discuss the paranormal, in particular UFOs, with my mates, but they think I'm odd. Possibly I am, but I agree with you and so many of your guests that society has gotten to the point where to think of anything that is against the norm is something to ridicule. I disagree, and listening to you and your guests helps me tremendously. Would love an email back and hope that one day I can meet like-minded people like you and your guests. I'm driving into the outback next month for a short holiday where the sky at night is unbelievable. I'll definitely listen to one of your shows during that trip. Thanks, Matt in Sydney, Australia. International listeners, I love them. It's humbling, as I always say. It's mind-boggling in a way to think that Matt is going to be driving into the outback sometime next month and The uh, crazy ramblings of Benal and his cavalcade of friends and paranormal guests will be echoing into the night sky while Matt is exploring the outback. Matt, thank you so much for writing in. I hope you witness a remarkable and amazing and breathtaking UFO while you're traveling in the outback, and hopefully it does not abduct you. 
I agree with you. Of course, the Stanton Friedman interviews are absolute gold. Sometimes I have to take a moment and step back and realize just how vast the archive for BOA Audio is when it just comes to Stanton Friedman. We're talking about nine-plus interviews with the man himself. Tremendous stuff. I'm always just completely blown away by how integral he has become to this show. I'm a huge Stan Friedman fan, as anyone who listens to the program knows, and it always thrills me when folks discover the program for the first time and realize how deep that Stan Friedman portion of the program is. The other point I should make here with regards to Matt's email is, don't give up, Matt. You're going to find folks you can talk to about the paranormal. There's plenty of people online, of course, that you can discuss the paranormal with, and eventually you'll find some like-minded friends in the real world. I'd just advise you to be careful. I wouldn't even bring it up with friends if they're going to ridicule you. It's not worth losing friendships over. It's not worth uh, having upset feelings with friends or the end of friendships over something like this. It is an intellectual exercise at the end of the day, the UFO phenomenon and the paranormal. So find some folks that are interested in it, and uh, discuss it with them, but don't proselytize, don't try and turn people into believers in this phenomenon, because you're only going to get a massive pushback, and as I said, it's not worth losing friendships over. It's a prickly topic for a lot of people. Some folks can't handle uh, the adjustment of their worldview to include the UFO phenomenon and the paranormal, and to those folks, we have to just empathize with their perspective and give them time to understand what this is all about. Because at the end of the day, really, we don't know what it's all about. And we're the ones looking at it, trying to understand it, trying to get to the bottom of it. So, can you imagine what it's like for people that can't even wrap their mind around it yet? It's a conundrum that is a challenge to us all. But keep up the fight, Matt. You'll find folks to discuss this with. Drop it on somebody at a bar some night. I bet you you'll get a good reaction there, and maybe a new friend or some enlightening conversation. Next email comes from Marco, and here's what he has to say. Could you relay a message to Bruce Rucks, since I can't find any contact info other than through his publisher? I finally, after a long time trying, got a copy of his book, Architects of the Underworld, Unriddling Atlantis, Anomalies of Mars, and the Mysteries of the Great Sphinx. It was a great read and well worth the expense and the wait. Looking forward to Ruck's giving. Keep up the great work, Tim. Be well. And peace to you and yours. Marco. Thank you very much for writing in, Marco. Much appreciated. One of the reasons why I wanted to highlight this email, actually there's two reasons. First of all, the simpler one, I cannot believe how often we get emails about Bruce Ruck's. This isn't fake, folks. I'm not just making up these phony emails from people writing in saying how much they enjoy Bruce's stuff. I consistently get emails from people putting over Bruce Rocks. It is tremendously awe-inspiring, really, in a lot of ways. I'm looking at the date on this one. This one came in on April 19th, 2014. So, ten days ago, Bruce was on the program probably almost six months ago now, around Thanksgiving. So we're still getting emails on a consistent basis. I bet not six weeks goes by that I don't get another email about Bruce Rucks. His impact on the BOA Audio listeners really is 
astounding in a lot of ways. It's remarkable. I'm so thrilled that he's kind of made BOA Audio his his home base, if you will. And the other point to segue from that uh, is that I'm not sure when he's going to be joining up at Banal of America to do some writing. i got to pester him. It's been a while. I think I haven't talked to him since the holidays, so now it's been nearly four months since we've been in touch. I don't want to really twist his arm. He's got a life. I've got a life. Times are busy for the both of us, but so many people want to hear from Bruce Rux. So many people want to communicate with Bruce Rux that I really want to get him more tied into Banal of America so those listeners and readers can really get the full Bruce Rux experience. So all I can say about that is stay tuned, and I will, of course, pass your message along, Marco, to Bruce about your appreciation for Architects of the Underworld. Next email comes from Rod. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Can I suggest Richard Gage? founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, as a potential guest. I'm a professional engineer of 26 years, and retired in 2005. I spent eight of those years in the steel and related industries, so I know how difficult it can be to melt steel. I have heard Richard speak a few times via YouTube clips and find myself in total agreement with him. His website is www.ae911truth.com Dot org. Regards, Rod. Rod, I would be happy to talk to Richard sometime on Banal of America. I have no bias, really, against the whole 9-11 truth movement. That said, I find myself kind of shaking my head in a lot of ways at how it has stalled out after all these years. You would think that an event with the magnitude of 9-11, with the strange questions that surround it, I have many unanswered questions about 9-11. I'm sure that 95 to 99% of the BOA Audio listeners right now have unanswered questions surrounding 9-11. And the mind-boggling part of it all is that the mainstream public simply does not. Or if they do, they don't express it in a way that makes a difference. Maybe somebody can recommend a sociologist of sorts. Ken Thomas actually would probably be really good to talk to you about that sort of thing. Maybe I'll do a 9-11 special at some point and feature a bunch of different 9-11 guests because it's been way too long since we covered 9-11. And the story and the phenomenon, the meme, the movement, the genre, it has uh, really mutated and evolved so much over the last 13 years that there's a lot of different areas to dig into. And of course the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth is one aspect of that story. So thank you for the guest recommendation, Rod. I will definitely look into Richard's stuff, and hopefully I can weave him into some kind of future edition of BOA Audio where we take another look at 9-11, because it definitely has been long overdue here on this show that we examined that fateful event. Final email this week comes... From Scott, no hometown listed, here's what he has to say. After listening to your show with guest William Zabel, I agree with him to the extent that facts were covered up, and many things did not happen that should have. He needs to provide photographic and video proof of his statements, and he cannot just tell everyone to go look for themselves. 
He is the one making the accusations slash observations. I urge you to check out this story and watch the interview of Mr. Halbig. And he includes a link to Infowars.com, an article that says, School shooting expert threatened over Sandy Hook investigation. So Google that if you want more info on what Scott here is talking about. The reason I highlighted this email mainly is, again, sort of tying into the Bruce Rucks email from moments ago. I'm not making these emails up, folks. I get these emails. William Zabel was on the show back in August. This email came to me on February 20th. So I'm getting emails all the time from people who are just discovering Banal of America audio. You would not believe it. And they write about episodes that are way beyond the back catalog at this point. And they still are writing to me. And I love it. I'm not complaining. I find it to be wondrous in a lot of ways to one day get up and I'll check my email and there'll be an email about an Ann Druffle episode from four years ago. Or somebody will write in with questions about Spontaneous Human Combustion, which is a show we did two or three years ago. It's it's tremendously strange in a lot of ways to think that this program is continuing onward and spreading and being discovered by people all the time. Right now I'm talking to you on February 29th, 2014, but I can almost guarantee you that going forward into the future, this episode will be listened to somebody on May 1st, and then again on June 1st, someone else will discover it. Sometime around the holidays, someone will be listening to this particular program. Right now, someone is listening to this show on Christmas 2014. So Merry Christmas to them. And then on and on and on down the line. It's, it's just really remarkable. You know, I've been thinking a lot about legacy lately. I'm not sure why. Maybe just because it's been a crazy spring here for BOA Audio and we're kind of in the midst of closing out season eight and getting ready to start putting together season nine and wondering what we're going to do between the two seasons and future projects that are kind of bubbling up. And just the idea of legacy has been kind of coming up a lot in my mind lately. And, you know, it's emails like this one here from Scott talking about William Zabel and the previous one from Marco talking about Bruce Rock's bringing up episodes that aired months ago, and they're still relevant with people discovering them today, and they're going to be relevant with people discovering them tomorrow and well on into the future. So it's just really, really remarkable stuff. If I was going to hone in specifically with what Scott has to say about William Zabel, I really don't have much to say. I would suggest you check out ColumbineConspiracy.com, but a brief uh, journey over there right now just revealed to me that this page cannot be displayed. So something's going on with ColumbineConspiracy.com. Not sure why that's down, but that is in keeping with the mysterious nature of one William Zabel. And there's a very good chance, despite what appeared to be a bit of an audience backlash against William Zabel in his subsequent appearances on the program, he will be back on BOA Audio in the future because I do love talking to Bill Zabel. He is one of the most unique characters ever to appear on BOA Audio, and someone whose various appearances on the show are, simply put, my friends, unforgettable. As far as the Sandy Hook article that you sent me, Scott, I definitely checked it out. Very intriguing stuff. I'm perplexed by Sandy Hook, I won't lie. I find... Some of the conspiracy theories surrounding the event to be 
troubling and laughable, but there are also definitely a lot of unanswered questions surrounding the event, and it's very likely we'll eventually do a Sandy Hook edition of the program, but to me, it feels still a little too fresh. It still feels like something that needs to percolate a little longer and let a lot of the crap sift to the bottom so that we have more of a definitive story from the alternative research community. Once I feel like that's really been done, I'd be happy to dig into the Sandy Hook story, because there seem to be a lot of strange elements to that event. So for the folks who listen to the program and say, oh, Banal doesn't want to do any of these conspiracy shows anymore, as you've heard here on the show tonight, 9-11, Sandy Hook, they're on the table. i got to find the right folks to talk about it, but they are definitely on the table. And with that said, we'll seal up the BOA Audio Listener Feedback Mailbag this week. Big thanks to Scott, Rod, Marco, and Matt in Sydney for writing in. Thank you for your contributions to BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Always great to hear from a variety of voices tuning into the program. And if you are tuning into the program right now and you would like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, there are a myriad of ways for you to reach me. You can simply write to info at banalofamerica.com. Pretty simple, info at banalofamerica.com. Or join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F. E.com. We like to call it BOA's Paranormal Playground. Kind of a respite for me, away from the world of the paranormal in a lot of ways. Lots of talk going on there regarding the world of pop culture and sports, but also random paranormal discussions happening as well. Join in on the fun if you'd like to be a part of the U.S. of E. Additionally, I am on Facebook and Twitter, so feel free to punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, on those social network sites. That'll bring up my profile. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. And finally, if you want breaking BOA news, you definitely want to check out Benal of America on Facebook. That's where I provide the latest in-house notes on what's going on with BOA. Sometimes we close the program here with no information on the next edition of the program, but you can get that information usually shortly thereafter at BOA on Facebook and, of course, at the website proper. So just punch in Banal of America on Facebook and like us. There, you can also contribute your thoughts on the latest editions of the program, the latest happenings at the website, and your questions for me and stuff you might want me to pass along to the listeners and guests. So lots of avenues to share your insights at BOA on Facebook. Up next, please allow me to take a moment and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our webmaster, Ray Weigel, and our graphics guru, Jeremy Boston. 
Once again, let me put out the call for potential BOA writers. If you're somebody out there who has something to say about the world of the esoteric and you're looking for an outlet to reach a whole bunch of people, I would love to hear from you. So please get in touch with me via the means I just shared with you and we will work on bringing you into the fold at BOA. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA audio listeners and ask you to help out the Banal of America franchise. As you know by now, I'm sure this program is 100% free. Two hours of compelling conversation surrounding the world of the esoteric, absolutely free. 200-plus episodes in the BOA Audio Archive, absolutely free, including numerous episodes featuring guests from all over the world, once again, absolutely free. How do we do that? That's simple. That is via donations from the Banal of America listeners who want to ensure that the train keeps running on time. If you would like to be one of those contributors to the Banal of America franchise, it would be greatly appreciated. How can you do so? There are two ways to donate to BOA. You can head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That'll bring you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the internet, and who does nowadays? It is a spooky world. There's worms and viruses and security holes everywhere you look. So maybe you don't want to be delving into the world of paying for things online. And I don't blame you. But you want to make a donation. You're in luck because there is a B-O-A-P-O box for just that very reason. You can mail a snail mail donation to Banal of America by writing to Tim Banal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass, 01866. And you can find that complete address under the PayPal button at Banal of America. As we say at the end of each program when we ask you to help us out, no donation is too small and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, I am happy to report after a six-week absence, we are returning to the live airwaves with another live edition of BOA Audio Season 8. That'll be coming at you Tuesday, May 6th, so essentially a week from now. Tuesday, May 6th at 8 p.m., our guests will be in the first hour, podcaster, researcher, author, Lon Strickler. Lon is somebody I've wanted to have on the program for quite some time. He has a wealth of strange experiences. He's done some tremendous research on the world of the esoteric with his top-notch blog, Phantoms and Monsters, and he's one of the co-hosts of the excellent podcast, Beyond the Edge Radio. Obviously, folks who are ardent BOA Audio listeners will recall that we had Lon's co-host, Eric Altman, on the program back in February, and I teased the Lon Strickler appearance for later in the spring. Well, it has 
nearly arrived, my friends. Lon will be on the program next Tuesday, May 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And then, that'll be in the first hour, me and Lon talking about Lon's experience in the world of the paranormal learning, all about Lon Strickler. Following that, Lon's going to stick around in the second hour. We're going to bring back previous BOA audio guest, Butch Witkowski, who has done some tremendous work looking at the terrifying phenomenon of human mutilations. Just chilling, chilling stuff. And Lon and Butch have teamed up recently to do an in-depth investigation on a particular case that has vexed me for years. I'm talking about the Todd C's case. There's way too much for me to go into here. Just Google Todd C's. You'll get a idea of what it is all about. Chilling, chilling stuff. And Lon and Butch together have uncovered some tremendous new insights into this case. So we're going to get all into the infamous and underreported but tremendously frightening Todd C's case in the second hour of BOA Audio Live with Lon Strickler and Butch Witkowski. Definitely turn the lights down when you're tuning into that one, folks, because it's going to be very spooky stuff, I'm sure. That is the return of BOA Audio Live next Tuesday, May 6th, 2014 at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll be slapping all the hullabaloo and graphics up at Benal of America in a couple of days to make sure you do not forget to tune in to what will surely be a fascinating conversation with Lon Strickler and Butch Witkowski on the next edition of BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of BOA Audio Season 8. Seems like an extended end cap here on the program, but we were long overdue to do some BOA Audio listener feedback, so hopefully the hardcore BOA Audio listeners who are tuning in right now did not mind my extended ramblings here at the end of the show. Once again, enormous thanks to Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman for coming back on the show. Check out their website, paraexplorers.com. And thanks to Scott, Rod, Marco, and Matt in Sydney, Australia for your contributions to BOA Audio listener feedback. And finally, of course, huge thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, as I said, the ones who have endured this ramble fest here at the end of this edition of the program, and who endure the delays between episodes, the promised posting times that end up being pushed a day or two ahead, and all of the other strange quirks of this program. Thank you so much for your enduring support of Banal of America. You really are the fuel that drives the BOA mothership. This program would be nothing without its listeners so I cannot thank you enough for your support of the program. And, as always, thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.